This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Brad Nichols, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. And hey, if you want to get access to a whole load of bonus content, I'm talking over 50 episodes, as well as supporting the show and helping it get made, head over to patreon.com forward slash Wrestling to become a backer now. Wanted to give a quick shout out to our buddy Jose de Gracia, whose project Extremis has been successfully funded on Kickstarter, and he wants us to pass on his thanks and gratitude for for all of the support which you guys have given and for helping him fund his project. We are living in a better world now that there's a novel where there are sci-fi ninjas defending the world against vampires and monsters and that is becoming published in reality. It's fabulous. You can head over to kickstarter.com forward slash extremist or extremist.com that's X-T-R-E-M-I-S for further updates and pre-order information about the book as it gets made. And hey, if you've got a project or something you want to plug or get a shout out on How To Wrestling, send us an email for inquiries over to How To Wrestling at gmail.com or of course as always you can always get in touch with us at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling but for now it's time for some hard times it's now time for how to big boss man friends and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling, but we're in tonight, not for enjoyment, but hard times for this episode is coming to you from deep within the correctional facilities of Cobb County, Georgia. Hello everyone, I'm the Big Kev Man, joined alongside as always in this instructional guide about the world of wrestling and its many fabulous characters by my better half, Joe Graham. Good morning. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm very well, thank you, and I'm very excited to talk about the terrible boss man. The terrible boss man? Mm. You've rechristened him already. <laughs> I don't want to use an existing moniker and be boring. Yeah, the terrible boss man, the evil boss man, any other ones you could maybe add to that list? What, invented ones? Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be able to beat boss man behaving badly. Yeah, you're happy with that one. That's like stuck in my head so deep I don't think I'll ever be able to come up with a proper different name for him. See, now there you go. What has happened there is Joe just explained how the Attitude podcast has managed mm. to exist for all these years. It's just that we kind of got a little bit stuck <laughs> in there a little bit, which is some clever wordplay. It's know? a total brainworm, that whole <laughs> that whole name. It's very clever. So, Big Boss Man, he is a very beloved wrestler. Another, I would say, in the mold like our previous episodes we've done on maybe Tajiri and whatnot, he's someone who has elicited quite a response from the old how-to universe, Joe, yes? People both love and hate him. Love and hate. What? Love is in like, well, we get love, but hate is in like that no good boss man, the yeah. character, or the, like a Ray Trailer, the real life big boss man. <laughs> I, I despise his <laughs> that legacy. Fucking asshole. I hate him. No, people love the. Re- I don't even know what his actual name was. Ray Trailer. Ray Trailer. What a fucking That's name. such a great name. And they didn't go with Ray Trailer as his <laughs> wrestling name? He did for a while in WCW. He was Ray Trailer. He had many monikers in his time, but Big Boss Man is the main one. But uh, great fucking name. I'd like. go for Ray Trailer and then give him like a brother looking guy who looks a bit like and call him Trey Railer. <laughs> and they could be the Railer Park Boys together. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I love it. So the big boss man is a character 
whom you have had some experience with on this podcast before. Sadly, yes. The spectre of Vince Russo looms over us always, like Andros, if you fucked up in Star Fox on a couple of missions in. But what are your memories before we got into this episode about the Big Boss Man? Well, I was trying to wrap my brains thinking about what I knew about him. And I knew that he had eaten a dog. <laughs> Wait, hang on. <laughs> he, he had eaten a dog. I mean, he did. Didn't he eat the dog as well? He did. Oh, well, actually, you're right, because he confirmed that it uh, tasted like chicken, yeah, didn't which he? which is strange when you think about it. Like, he didn't have to... I mean, he wanted to cook the dog, but he didn't have to eat it. Like, no, he didn't. Joke's on him, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know? So I know he... Yeah, he stole, he stole a dog and cooked it and fed it to the owner, and then they both ate it, which sounds like it was like a nice sort of couple's bonding date bonding like, oh we'll yeah. eat the nice dog you'll get a new dog don't worry it'll be fine let's <laughs> eat this one together in a symbolic gesture of yeah. friendship Look, it's, a, it's a worthwhile parting who goes send him off it's not really much of a dig on someone if you do then eat it as well isn't it like exactly. if, if you end up back to the future if Marty went up and rubbed shit all over his face and went huh, taste that chicken it wouldn't have really been much of a burn on Biff would it no exactly so yeah, I knew he ate the dog I know he stole the coffin. And I was trying to think, how how do I know these bits? Because he stole the coffin. He stole he stole a coffin inside which was the father of someone. <laughs> and it wasn't yeah, it wasn't like he ate Pepper, the dog. Yeah. And he had a dog and then afterwards, you know, he fed a dog to someone and then took the coffin of that dog. Away. No, no, was, the coffin was of a man. Yeah, it was a dad. A full sized dad coffin. Not a tiny pepper coffin. Which would have been Funny in a different way. <laughs> Particularly if the big show had jumped, yeah, on. jumped on it. A little tried tiny. To... Whoa, man. Like, <laughs> like, we see, like, kind of uh, Homer drives that little tiny car, mm. trike in The Simpsons when he's trained to be a clown. It would have been like that. Like, like... Exactly like that. So I was trying to I was trying to figure out how on earth I knew this. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking back through all the episodes we did, and I was like, why on earth would this have come up? Because we haven't done an episode on Al Snow, the owner of Pepper the Dog. We've certainly don't, not done an episode on Big Show. So I was like, well, how on earth do I know this? This really strange, perturbing, silly, borderline offensive, weird shit. Where could it have come from? Hmm. And then, of course, it clicked. And it was our Vince Russo episode. Of course it was the Vince Russo episode. And if you've not checked it out, that was the episode where Joe got to experience a man wrestle another man inside a cage, inside another cage, which had dogs in the center of it. If you imagine like a Milky Way bar, but instead of chocolate, it was uh, chicken wire and cage. And instead of nougat... It was dogs that were pissing and smelling each other in a friendly way. Don't forget the best part, though, of that episode, which was when they were wrestling and then all the blood fell on them. Yeah, that's true. And in our viewing for the big boss man, which Vince Russo, he's part of that. He's part of that conversation. So I would suggest, as we usually do with these episodes, certain pre-required listening, I would say check out the Vince Russo episode because he's a big part of that career. But yes, in our non-stop boss man viewing the last couple of days, there has been lots of red viscous liquid that's been spewed. Mm -hmm. lots of men behaving badly music <laughs> and uh, certainly lots of athleticism from the very large and nimble big boss man how would you describe just regular old boss man for those who maybe haven't seen him visually which uh, one is regular boss man why don't we start off with uh for the the first boss man we'll be talking about which is blue shirt boss man so what what is he what is this this character he, I always think he's a policeman. Right. But he's not, as I was corrected with my snog Mary wrestle when I called him a cop. Big cop man, I believe yeah. is your official moniker for him. Whatever, he looks and acts like a cop. So he's a cop as far as I'm concerned. What, what are the cop-like things that the boss man has got then? He behaves badly. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, he um. Hmm. Has he he's got any like kind of gimmicks or anything like well, that? Well, he's got his he's got his nightstick, which yeah. is like a police truncheon. That's true. Yeah, he has a nightstick. Which in the UK, US listeners will might like to learn is the only weapon really our our forces are given. And they never twirl them though, like they the don't boss do man. Do anything with them? You see, I think that's really impressive about boss man is he has access to guns, and yet his his fancy <laughs> hand play is all to do with the truncheon, which yeah. is a bit of a power move when you think about it, because he doesn't mm. need to rely on the guns. He's yes. got his stick work. Whereas our policemen here, they've got their sticks, but they don't even know how to use them. You mentioned the stick work of the boss man. The mm. nightstick is a huge part of that character. If you see Why the boss though? man, I think it's really to do with the the origins of that that character which was allegedly at the time Hogan and the folks who are you know at the top of the wrestling industry had seen some news articles about police brutality and stuff like that and they thought well that's a good heel heat angle we want a cop who wow. is using excessive force maybe they could do that in 2019 I mean it's funny to think that like what was considered kind of like oh alright you know quite broadly acceptable for you know the Hogan era that's PG, it's cartoon cops and robbers types of stuff. Yeah. And to have you know, a character, the boss man, who was brought in originally, and the nightstick, it was meant to be a symbol of brutality and, and excessive use of force. And the handcuffs as well were part of that. When boss man's, that character first debuted, he would handcuff people, the jobbers he would beat to the ropes, and then he would beat them with the nightstick oh afterwards. Oh my goodness, what a nasty man. The idea being that he was, you know, taking advantage and beating the shit out of people who had, uh, you know, had no means to defend themselves. You see now, a nightstick and handcuffs, to me, seems more like a cop thing than a prison guard thing. Am yeah. I wrong in thinking that? No, you're right. They want you with the big boss man. We'll get into his actual background and whatnot and corrections in a little bit, but with the boss man, it is originally as well was meant to be cops. That was what it was meant to invoke in you. And it wasn't meant to be like, yay, cops, like good guy cops. It was meant to be like, fuck man, the police. That was the original concept of that character. It's so weird to think like, that just would not happen now. No, just, absolutely a, not. An evil cop? No. No way, like. No way. Maybe, very edgily, maybe there might be a cop character you find out is actually okay uh, deep down after yeah. a while. But even still, they wouldn't touch shit like that with a 10-foot barge pole, like. God. So why don't we maybe roll back the tape a little bit here and have a little bit of chat about how this big fellow got into the world of wrestling. With a name like Ray Trailer, it could feel like he was destined to become a wrestler. He's a big boy, this boss man, you say. How would you describe him physically? Well, it depends on which point of his career, because he's mm. changed shape a few times. Right. But mostly, he's a rotund man with long legs. Very long legs, yeah. He looks like... What is the name of the game we were playing recently? And you got the little pin. What, Piku Niku? He looks like the main character of Piku Niku. <laughs> it's meant to be this horrible, like, fucking avatar of police brutality. Whee! Yeah, which is literally the cutest, <laughs> sweetest thing that exists in the world today. I think he does look quite cute. That like, not... <laughs> okay, don't take me out of context, okay, listeners. I'm not just saying the boss man is cute, right? But his Confederate flag really just does it for me. No, it's like just his shape is cute. Right, I got you. He's not. He's not in the the mold of the typical wrestler. I think we can. No, agree. he's not got like abs and like massive bulging biceps or anything. He's farm strong, not not gym strong. I think is he's the way to describe him. Correctional officer strong. Yeah, he's got them walking legs. He's on his feet all day. Absolutely, but he's maybe pounding the beers at break time. 
time or whatnot. Mm. So the boss man was originally brought into wrestling all the way back in the early 80s. He was meant to be just a jobber. And this is great about the boss man. His career, because it started in the mid to late 80s, he gets at the tail end of so much like bullshit and politicking that was still around at the time. The boss man was brought in originally as a jobber. Now, I know what you might think, like six foot three or four, whatever he is, 350 pounds, big fucking massive host of a lad. Not really much of a jobber shape to him. He's brought into the old NWA territories, which would have been what WCW was back in the 80s, and Dusty Rhodes was the, the booker of the show. And Dusty Rhodes had a little bit of an ego and didn't like maybe some of the uh, people he was working against in kayfabe, like Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. So he thought it was a good idea to have one of Ric Flair's buddies, Tully Blanchard, who's part of this Four Horsemen group, that the jobber that he would face was going to be this big fucking six foot five, 300 pound guy. Essentially, he wanted to make Ric Flair's buddies look bad. Right. And this kind of political maneuvering where it's like, well, here you go. Here's your opponent for tonight. It's this big fucking hoss who doesn't know how to wrestle. And apparently, like, the finisher of the guy, Tully Blanchard, was called a slingshot suplex. We picked the guy up for a suplex you bounce his tummy off the ropes and then you hoof him back. Bloody hell, and he had to do that to Bossman. On like his first match. So Bossman actually managed to do that. And what started off as being like, ah, we'll get Tully Blanchard and fuck him over with his big hoss. It ended up being like, God damn, this big motherfucker can move. He can take that sh- slingshot suplex. So he got hired immediately and given a job. Good for him. Which is like, just that you show up to work, like essentially maybe going to be used as a butt of a joke. Or the butt of like uh, an office prank, essentially. He was basically caught in the crossfire between the Jim and Dwight pranks of, of the late 80s and the NWA. So he gets a job then for, for the NWA and he's made Jim Cornette's bodyguard. Where he's got like the hat and the sunglasses and he's big Bubba Rogers. He's got his nice fluffy beard. Oh, as the, the Bubba Rogers with yeah. his hat. What a name. Big Bubba Rogers. Oh, his look is so bad. I really think it's bad. You don't think there's a place for hats at wrestling? Oh, no, I do. Just not that hat. It's a terrible hat. It's a fedora. Yeah, he, he kind of looks like he's meant to be like a mobster or something like that. Yeah, like a shit knockoff mobster. But like some big country boys have went up to the big city and accidentally killed some mobsters. Like, quickly, let's dress up as the mobsters. Maybe they won't notice that it's us. Like. It's me in Red Dead Redemption when I'm trying on fancy outfits I can't afford and then wearing them <laughs> even though I don't belong in them. <laughs> I'm a cowboy and I know it, goddammit. I'm not right in this city folk clothing. So yeah, Big Bubba Rogers was the name and Jim Cornette was the manager at the time and the idea was that he was this little pipsqueak whose whose mama had given him you know, loads of money to buy wrestlers to be a manager of. Because all those big mean wrestlers were giving Jim Cornette a hard time, his mama sent Big Bubba Rogers to look after him. And his idea was that he would stand there, he'd never say a word, he'd have his arms folded all the time and just look like a big brick shithouse. Well, he's effective at that. He is. I mean, that's pretty good money if you can make it. Standing <laughs> still and looking intimidating is very simple. You could do that. You reckon? Yeah, of course you could. You gotta hide my kind eyes behind sunglasses, <laughs> though. Otherwise, you'd just be like, oh, what's 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 that gentle giant doing back there? Thinking about poetry, is he? Yes. That's exactly why he's wearing sunglasses as <laughs> Bubba Rogers. It's to hide the kind eyes. He's got... I, I was gonna say no. the kind eyes of the boss, but no. he's, not, he's got evil eyes that he may have taken out of a dog. And, and take it. I don't know, he's an evil man. So, the highlight of Big Bubba Rogers' run as Jim Cornette's bodyguard, there's a few of them. Number one, 
he was so committed to kayfabe at the time because he was this big young guy who was brought in and everyone you know the 80s was super like you know we come in separate cars if someone challenges you to a fight in a bar you beat them up if you don't win the fight you're not welcome back to tv because you know you've been beaten by a by a mark or whatever so it was really hard times to break into wrestling back then there's a great story that was uh, told on steve austin's podcast by jim Cornette, where big bubba rogers coming in for one of his first shots and uh you know taking the the, the bags out of the back for jim Cornette and the wrestlers you know and taxi driver slams down the boot of the car and he catches his finger in it and straight away everyone's like god damn his finger's right caught in the fucking boot of the car I mean, that's oh. the sorest thing that can happen not a peep out of him puts his hat on takes up the bags walks inside puts them down and starts going ah motherfucker oh. god damn and they were like what happened there and he goes oh there were fans there couldn't see the marks see me sell the pain of the car boot door so that was the commitment to it he was like he's meant to be impervious to pain like was was big Bubba Rogers oh that is one of the nastiest injuries I know right poor guy speaking of nastiest injuries there is another one though they used to do scaffold matches back in the day the idea was because it was the NWA they needed kind of a showcase match they would erect a big scaffold like just literally big piece of scaffold side of the ring either side and a big ladder or kind of a walkway across the top 15 feet above the ring. Now, you can imagine what it's like when wrestlers have to try and climb up a rickety old scaffold in and then wrestle on top of a very narrow platform. And this isn't like ricochet and stuff. This is like dusty roads and fucking old 80s wrestlers. So they did a... Every time they did one of these matches, someone had to fall off the top. That was like the gimmick of it. You had right. to, someone to fall from the, uh, from the top of the scaffold. And Jim Cornette, it was his time, he was going to fall off the scaffold. And the idea was that all oh, the good guy wrestlers chased old Jimmy Cornette up. And he went, ah, and he ran up the scaffold. And he was hanging from the scaffold, you know, literally sh- shaking back and forth like he was a trapeze artist. And the idea was that Big Bubba Rogers was going to catch him. And I quote, like the cheerleaders catch the football players at the big football game. Right. So Jim Cornette is literally there. You can see the video. He's there going, ah, oh my God, oh my God. You ready? You got it? You got me? You ready? Yeah? You ready? You seriously ready now? Yeah? Absolutely. 100%. Catch me now, right? You're going to catch me. I'm falling. Three, two, two, one. one. <laughs> you can literally see the arms of Big Bubba Rogers go, and catch nothing but air as Jim Cornette slips through his hands and lands right on oh his feet. Oh my god! And that's like that was an injury that Jim Cornette feels to this day. Apparently, he was never able to take proper bumps afterwards. <gasps> he, he landed right in his ankles in the back of his uh, oh, legs, and god. you can literally, you can literally hear him. His voice is straight away. He's like, ah! like this high pitched Mickey Mouse fucking voice on him, and he started screaming to Bubba that. He wasn't selling. He said, I'm shooting. I'm shooting. Trying to say, like, you know, this is for real. But Bubba, in his naivety, thought that Jim Cornette was saying, I'm shitting. Saying, like, I'm only having a joke. It's all right. So he just left him there. Oh, my God. So, like, for his entry into wrestling, it was pretty fucking, like, touch and go there. Are we (laughs) positive that Boss Man definitely didn't do any of this intentionally? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he sounded like he was saying, I'm shitting. I don't yeah. know, man, like, mm. Yeah, I just missed. Like, he just fell through my arms. Like. I mean, if you see the size of Cornette back then, because Cornette was tiny. Yeah, he like, is little. Like, imagine, like, if you thought Brian Zane was operated by a smaller little man within Brian Zane, that was the size of Jim Cornette back then. Right. right? And, like, Big Bubba Rogers was, like, literally a big fucking bear. I don't know how he didn't catch him. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and the other highlight of Big Bubba Rogers' run as well was uh, I showed Joe this clip of him getting hit in the head with a folding chair. 
How would you describe the impact of this wooden chair on Big Bubba? Oh, it's pretty gross. Just kind of splinters and... Smashes. Shatters onto his face. And he doesn't even, like, flinch. No. He, he just stands there, just, you know, hits him with this wooden folding chair. It's like, like it's made of paper. And it completely disintegrates. And, like, his hat just kind of goes a little askew and he, like, tips it back and does his sunglasses up. It was only afterwards they were like, oh, man, that gimmick chair that we used, that was amazing. <laughs> They didn't gimmick the chair. He just hit him for real with a wooden chair. Now, we've got some wooden patio furniture out there. And you even, imagine that. Even sitting on them is it's uncomfortable. So <laughs> <laughs> and I know, when we go out there, like last Sunday, it was nice and sunny. We sat out there, we had gin and tonics. And I was like, man, and these aren't even gimmicked up, like, you know. <laughs> and we managed to sit on them. Smashing it over his head. It's incredible. You can see it on YouTube to this day. It's a... Oh, it's gross. So, as often happens in wrestling, when you're a big, strong guy like that, who's got, like, you know, he, the crowd were reacting to him. Like, when, you know, Dusty Rhodes went to smash him with that chair, everyone was, like, on their feet. Like, they wanted to see this big guy, you know, actually wrestle a bit and wanted to see him as a, as a star. And he felt like he wasn't getting paid well enough. Like, they did another one of those scaffold matches and he had to go up on the scaffold this time. Everyone got paid 15 grand. He got paid five. What? Oh, yeah. We just, you know, oh, you're the young guy. You're not, you know, you're not as big a star as the Rockers or, you know, Ricky Morton, whoever was up there. So smart man that he was, though, you know, and we're talking a lot about him being naive and whatnot. I don't think this was something that lasted his career. Straight away from there, he was negotiating to go into the WWF. Oh, good lad. To be the big boss man. And that's where... That idea. Now, I'm not entirely sure this whole thing about Hogan saying he saw stuff about police brutality and then thought it was a great idea. Yeah, fucking right. As if Hogan even understands the concept of police brutality. That would require empathy, which yeah. he lacks as a human. <laughs> it's just like, wouldn't be uh, an episode of How to Wrestling without mentioning Hulk Hogan without him either A, being a fucking piece of shit, and also him <laughs> claiming to have invented something. Oh, by the way, he's also a racist. Oh, yeah. Just have to mention that as well. It's compulsory every time Hogan gets mentioned. Yeah, to complete the Triforce of Hogan being a prick. Jim like, you know. <laughs> is a racist. Hogan has uh, allegedly claimed to have come up with the idea for the big boss man I don't think that's strictly true no because that would require like insight that would require the ability to look at humanity and society as a whole and look at the the hardships and the prejudices and the unfairness of the of the system and that is not going to happen from Hulk Hogan's point of view yeah he's too busy breaking up unions in the early 80s anyway so he's a busy man like there's not really time to be you know thinking about police brutality like you know (laughs) he's thinking about the brutality of the unions against him like you know and that's the real issue here in America today you're probably more likely to see a rabble rising union character on Raw than you are to see (laughs) police officer character anytime soon yep but it's one thing just to say like oh cops let's do a cop wrestler you know and actually then to bring it into life and to actually have all the parts that made the big boss man a viable character we did mention briefly there the baton work now you told me before you were in air cadets was there much baton work in uh, air cadets no we didn't get batons really no we got hats you get rifles yeah give a bit of a twirl of those we weren't allowed to keep them Ah. We just were allowed to disassemble and clean them and use them occasionally. So you had to clean the dirty guns. That was the job of the air yeah. cadets. So glamorous. So you've never had, I, I don't know why, I just assumed you had like some kind of, you know, uh, a passive baton ability inside oh, of Oh, what, because of the marches and stuff? Well, yeah, I figured, you know, marching up and down the square, all that, that little no, scheme. We, yeah. never got, we never got any fancy batons or anything like that. Well, with your non-trained baton eyes, as I have non-trained baton eyes, 
the work of the boss man with oh, that's that incredible. stick. It's really, really cool. The first time he came out as the the uh, dark match, like let's introduce the big boss man character, came out spinning the stick. It went flying off into the second <laughs> row. Wait, and there, I always wonder, like, how is he so good at it? The answer is simply practice. He apparently yeah. backstage would be there hours before the show, constantly twirling it, spinning it around, yeah. nonstop. Like that's like the secret to all clever things you can do with your hands. Like anything that's like, whoa, that's a cool trick. Tell me how to do it. Okay, practice it for ten years. Exactly. That's how I can do this. No, no good. Ten more years, honey. Huh? Thanks. Keep at the slow. That's how I can do cobra spits as well. Ten long years of practice, oh, like you don't know. Mention the cobra spits. I'm a lot like the big boss in that way, in that I have the venom of a cobra flowing through my veins. And you spit in people's faces, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I really like to get myself a nightstick so I can start practicing some nightstick moves. Well, I th- try to think of a good time to bring it up, but the nightstick is quite um, it's quite a big part of the big boss man's character yeah and i know when my when i first started watching wrestling it was around the time the boss man had actually come back into wrestling and he was immediately a character that i just thought was like wow because he didn't look like the other wrestlers he looked like kind of like an action figure or something that would be in like a cartoon or whatever this evil cop man my brother was enamored with the uh the nightstick to the point where he got his friend when he was in spain to buy him a nightstick no not an actual nightstick oh an actual nightstick no do it with a fake one those things are legitimately dangerous well actually the nightstick is formulated the uh the the material in the nightstick in such a way that it's rubberized isn't it it is so that it can cause great you know pain and whatnot and it is but it won't permanently injure it can't injure or fracture the skull or whatnot and i should know because well usually stories where 12 year old boys get nightsticks usually end up in eight year old boys getting hit with a nightstick except you know yeah so i have been hit with a nightstick by accident that'll explain the scars no it's that's it those are different scars (laughs) (laughs) but yes i have tasted a nightstick to the head jesus christ an actual nightstick an actual nightstick but it was not on purpose well, uh, that's that's okay. My then. brother and his friend were trying to film a zombie movie and cool. uh, put a fake zombie head on my head, and uh, cool. in, in an attempt to sever the brain or remove the head, uh, I got hit in the head with a nightstick. Where were so, your parents? Downstairs. But it's, not <laughs> <laughs> it's all right though, because that's when I learned about nightsticks not being able. It's, it's, it was that's how it was. Okay, it was okay because if the nightstick can't crack the skull or anything like that, it's all. Right, it's fine. It's, then. it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. okay. You it's know, fine. it's fine. It's like if a police officer come into my home, I'd feel very safe as he used to beat me with a nightstick. Now, as a result, I Great. wouldn't. But I, wouldn't. <laughs> okay. I can't believe your brother had an actual nightstick. I know, he is did. your brother a cop? No, he's not. Did he uh, grow up into a cop? He didn't. No, he grew up into a marketing executive. <laughs> but, uh, I think he wanted to be a big boss man for a brief period of time. Like the type of children that have nightsticks either become cops or marketing executives. Yeah, exactly. And nothing else. And that's not the only dangerous nightstick thing that happened as well because I remember Christmas of 1998 got a wrestling ring and I got like a Mankind figure and my brother got a Big Boss Man figure we got our favourite wrestlers and it was great Big Boss Man came with a little nightstick and of course the first thing we did was like that nightstick was really small like Mm. you know choking hazard out the fucking wazoo and all we did is we got the nightstick and we pulled it against the top rope on our wrestling ring and we're like we're gonna shoot it at Mankind like and we pulled it back and it's going and it bounced around the room like really fast and we were both like oh, okay like you're like you're, 
eight and ten years old kind of thing and go, okay we gotta be careful with this now because the boss man's nightstick the little nightstick was very dangerous that's dangerous big nightstick yeah, actual yeah, nightstick you know, that's, that's you know let's hit our brothers in the head with it right I'm sorry has anyone ever choked on a full sized nightstick probably never mind we'll just move on from this now it's fine <laughs> But the whole thing about his real-life background, the big boss man, you know, uh, do you know what his actual job was before he became a wrestler, so He to was an actual corrections facility officer, wasn't he? Or yes. Something, whatever you call those people. A screw. A screw? <laughs> well, screw, that's what they call them in uh, prison dramas and whatnot. Oh, do like. they? They don't call them that in Oz, though, I just realised. Yeah, I was just know. thinking, that doesn't sound like an Oz reference. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the boss man was a legitimate corrections officer. And I had always been under the impression that with the boss man, it was like, he was a corrections officer, then he's like, I'm going to become a wrestler, and he became a wrestler. He still was the corrections officer for much of his run as Big Bubba Rogers. Can you imagine being in the prison with the boss man as your corrections facility officer? And I went and started this riot and all I've got is this wooden folding chair. I'm not even going to bother trying, like, you know, it's ridiculous. (laughs) But yeah, he would save up his vacation days and take him off. Oh my God. And he'd go on, like, his days off and things like that to go wrestle. Talk about a side hustle. These days he'd just start a podcast. (laughs) hard times with the big boss man <laughs> but uh yeah he essentially was told you're taking off too much time do you want to be a wrestler do you want to be a <laughs> corrections card officer and it's like i know it's one of those things where it's like well you know if i'm a corrections officer i can't really be a wrestler but if i'm a wrestler i can also kind of be a corrections officer in some way so he went with being a wrestler but yeah for several years afterwards he was still uh still being a corrections officer, which is amazing. Like, Wow. Was this still during a time when kayfabe was very much guarded? Yeah. guarded? So yeah, he must have been like cock of the walk, like total king of the prison, right? I would have imagined, like, I mean, if people... But that's been said, like, I don't know if they were watching fucking NWA in prison, like, you know. This... I would have thought they would have done. <laughs> I, I mean, know. who knows, like, you know. I, but he was legitimately there in Cobb County, Georgia, where as a child, I thought it was a fictional place called cop county georgia where the, all the police come from like the beating heart of the boys in blue in america cop county georgia but no cob county georgia or as it's known elsewhere in the uk sandwich county georgia it's a little bit of manchester humor there for you oh very funny thank you very much ladies and gentlemen so he is in the wwf originally brought in as a big baddie to wrestle against hulk hogan he got one of the best matches out of hulk hogan in his early run uh yeah when Hogan was just the big good guy who was beating all the big monster baddies. But unlike a lot of people, like, say, maybe King Kong Bundy or, you know, even Andre the Giant, the boss man could move around a lot. And he ended up getting, you know, very favorable reviews for his performance. And, like, they were like, he can work because Hulk Hogan says he bumps good. So he was kind of, in a way, like, had been given the golden ticket then because he'd worked with the top guy in like, his first feud. And then from there, he was just trusted because he was established as being capable and competent one of the original things they wanted to do though with hogan and boss man was they did a segment where he handcuffed hulk hogan and then nightsticked him and beat the shit out of him why didn't you show me that because they cut the segments they thought that it made hogan look too weak so instead what happened was that hogan was attempted to be nightsticked and then he fought off the boss man oh, to, to build i hate up. him so much but for those lucky few fans in attendance at the time they did get to see the big boss man just beat the shit out of hulk hogan with his arms behind his back with a nightstick what a pure a wonderful moment in wrestling's history that we'll sadly never see. <laughs> so, Bossman gets a manager as well, 
uh, someone who Joe got to see for the first time in our viewing, who is the Doctor of Style Slick, a very dapper gentleman indeed. Mm -hmm. Long, thin, Waluigi energy to uh, the Doctor of Style. yeah, very Waluigi. Yeah. We'll talk about Slick probably in some future episodes if we focus on managers, but he found himself very shortly thereafter in a tag team called the Twin Towers, which maybe is not aged particularly well as a tag team name. But they were two very big guys, and we decided to watch one of my all-time fave big guys versus little guys matches. This is our first match from WrestleMania 5 as the big boss man and his tag team partner, Akeem the African Dream, take on Marty and Sean, the Rockers. Couple of things to digest here first, Joe. Akeem the African Dream. He certainly is extremely white isn't, isn't he? he though yeah considering you know? he's wearing like african inspired garbs and he was doing his uh, traditional african in tenon sets of inverted commas dancing mm, is that what it was yeah he was moving his arm around and whatnot so akeem the african dream i kid you not and th- i don't know why he keeps showing up this is this is classic dusty roads but Dusty Rhodes has a habit now just showing up on this podcast all the time because it's like, oh, someone had a problem with Dusty or Dusty had a problem with someone else. But Akeem the African Dream is a is a joke, a rib, as they call it in wrestling, on Dusty Rhodes. Because Dusty Rhodes was the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes acted uh, like he was kind of channeling a lot of kind of black culture and whatnot. And would, the way he would speak and whatnot, he would use a lot of verbiage that was used maybe down in the south by a lot of black folk and whatnot. And right. Vince McMahon and the people at WWE thought a good way to uh, satirize this was to get an incredibly white man, Akeem. Google one-man gang. This is who Akeem is. Just so... Because I think with the hat and stuff like that and the beard, they tried to misguide you here. But just have a look there at the one-man gang and you see how white this man is. Oh, he's very white. He is. So, yeah, the idea was that they were making fun of Dusty Rhodes. They weren't telling you this on TV, of course, but it was like, yeah, he's a, a big, heavy set guy who's dancing around and thinks he's African-American, so, of course, he's... Uh... Is it African-American? Well, they did this thing where his his manager was Slick, and Slick, fucking hell, the amount of racist shit that man had to, to go through. He had to be in a music video called Jive Soul Bro, where he talked about eating... Eh, Jive Soul Bro, that's yeah. the whitest thing I've ever heard. It is, which is a shame, because it's got a banger of a, of a, of a bass line to it. That's it, like it... Vince McMahon trying to write jazz or something when Slick was asked about it he was like well this is Vince McMahon trying to understand you know black culture and he there thought you know having me eating yard birds and no! talking about being a jive soul bro was uh, was a great way to do that it was you know heart was definitely not in the right place and the mind was not present uh, and accounted for at that moment in time but they did a segment where Slick brought Akeem who was the one man gang to the streets uh, this is like a back alley, and he burned his old gear in a uh, in a burning trash can, and then they said they were going to have, <laughs> for fuck's sake, they said they were going to have a, an African ceremony so he could embrace his African An roof. African ceremony. So yeah, he had all these an kind of... African. Sorry, but yeah. Africa is quite large. It is, yeah, and uh, that's why all these Zulu warrior types started dancing around this uh, burning uh... bin, and uh, Akeem, the African dream, was born. It was inexplicably tagged up with the big boss man, like, you know, who... It's so weird. And also, as well, I found this out the other day. 
Bossman, the name Bossman, is also a rib on Dusty Rhodes. What? Because Dusty Rhodes, that's what they called him back in the NWA because he was the booker and off from the champ. They called him, oh, there's Bossman there. So the Twin Towers, there you go. Akeem and Big Bubba Rogers, 50 shades of making fun of Dusty Rhodes. Aww. But I just thought we should say that there now in case people thought that we'd let Joe go by in this whole match wondering why there was a lad in blue pyjamas claiming he was from Africa when he's most definitely from fucking Minnesota. I still can't work out why they're called the Twin Towers of all things. Two big things like that, you know? I, I think like back in those days, the Twin Towers were kind of seen as being these two imperviously large structures, which right. probably just, it's not aged very well, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, to a post-9-11 audience, it doesn't really ring. No, it, it's, it's, you, we don't list the, the Twin Towers really uh, as, as, as a tag team. It's often just referred to as Bossman and Akeem. Yeah. For, and then even that, it's kind of Bossman and his partner, some guy in blue. You don't need to find out who that is. <laughs> don't like. Google him. As well, but this is a team you're not, you're not going to see a corrections officer, law enforcement gimmick in wrestling anymore. And you know what, Joe? I shouldn't think we're not going to see an African dream type character like Akeem in wrestling anymore in 2019. I think maybe we've and learned... And especially not those two teaming up. <laughs> I know, right? What a strange Put it all time. together, like, you know. <laughs> now, the Rockers. Sean and Marnie, they like to wrestle and they're here to party. Then they're not going to grumble. We'll see you at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Come on. Sean and Marnie, do you recognise uh, these, these young gentlemen? I don't recognise Sean Michaels. Bloody hell, he looks huh? like Ric Flair. He is both much younger and seemingly seems older at the same it's time as so well. It's so strange how he, he just looks totally different. Like, if I didn't know for a fact that that was Shawn Michaels, I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> and you know what? I don't understand how in current wrestling day, and you know, I know this has happened in the past as well, where people have these conspiracy theories that wrestlers are replaced by other wrestlers, yes. like Kane. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, he's not actually real, original Kane. Dana Brooke. Yeah. Ultimate Warrior. They've oh. replaced him with someone with more hateful views. Paul McCartney. Like it just it goes on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just all of those, I'm surprised no one's thought to go, Sean Michaels, that is a different man. It's yeah. not Sean Michaels as we know him today. What people don't realise is that two years ago when he went to NXT, Sean Michaels was actually replaced with Ernest. Uh, <laughs> Ernest goes to the developmental system, you know what I mean? Uh so yeah. He's got such a thick neck, so yeah. much hair. Mm. So much blonde hair. He's like quite muscular here. He looks like a meathead. He doesn't look like the Shawn Michaels we're used to. He looks no. like he's trying to fit into the mold. Like, but they were considered to be the two light heavyweight, you know, young high flyers, the Rockers, and they were pretty beefed up to say the least. Like. Yeah, definitely compared to like how Shawn Michaels ended up. Mm. Such a light man. Yeah. He's definitely, yeah, quite quite dense looking here. Well, happens when you go back and you watch wrestling from the 80s, you can just see everyone, regardless of their body shape, if, particularly if they're good guys, just trying to force themselves into this kind of one very narrow view of what a wrestler's meant to look like. It's so boring. Yeah. I'm so glad that that has... I was going to say that stopped. It's not stopped. I'm so glad it's lessened. It is definitely lessened. I think there's... More there, there's more than one ideal, but to say that they don't have ideals, like if you've not got abs, they like you to strongly consider having abs. Yeah, like, have you have you thought about having abs? You know, abs are pretty good. You thought what abs could do for you in your career? Vince loves looking at them. I know. Yes, you've not got health insurance, but do you have abs? Mm. You know, so we, we're both lacking here at the moment, yeah. aren't we? Both as as employer and independent contractor. Many areas of opportunity here to work on. <laughs> 
I have described this farmyard action as big pigs versus little lambs. That's kind of accurate, yeah. Definitely yeah. the lamb-like thing. Boss man looking extremely randy here. And I don't yeah. mean randy as in horny. I mean randy as in trailer park boys. He is randy indeed. He's top heavy, I think. Because, mm. yeah, you point this when you, you pointed out to me about the fact that he's obviously on his feet all day. He's got these very, very slender legs. And he's got like, I mean... You know it's bad that you know, the little LJN wrestling figures I used to have, mm. you know, they had two big bossman ones. They had heavy set bossman and bossman who's lost a load of weight. And the heavy set one was like, literally like Pavarotti, the action figure. Aww. So he he lost a lot of weight over his career. I think this is where he's at his heaviest. Yeah, I think so. What do you think of the gear though, with the the blue shirt with the kind of the the the, the cop badge on it, the the Dixie ladies, the Confederate flag. He's the baddie boo. <laughs> it's almost like like a stripper outfit made evil yeah <laughs> like evil stripper cop yeah if you're turned on you're a racist like, yeah. <laughs> you know. so boss man and his ring attire like as the match progresses the ring attire kind of he get, it changes form so to speak i'd say <laughs> that's the theme for boss man i yeah. feel his, his outfits tend to fall off him yeah, the cleavage opens up a little bit. Not in this one. No, in this one it's just the tummy. Yeah, oh, the tummy! The buttons come from south. From the south, yeah. Which he obviously then gets the hang of later through his career as it starts to go from the top, which is a better look. Yeah, honestly, if you're trying to seduce someone by, but, you know, you know, going from the top button downwards, that's sexy, pretty sexy. Provocative. But if you like, you pull out your shirt from underneath and start unbuttoning upwards like that, look going, at my belly button. Look at my belly button and my tight mm. neck. Like, <laughs> you just look uncomfortable. <laughs> He sweats as well, like a motherfucker. I love that about him. Mm. I think that more wrestlers... I Obviously, wrestling is a sweaty sport anyway. Yeah. But most of the time, wrestlers who get sweaty don't wear much clothes. So you just see their glistening bodies, which, you know, no complaints here. But yeah. I... I really appreciate seeing sweaty clothing. It's amazing because it starts off, you know, Boston raises his arms. He's got these armpit stains. Massive and it's stains. Such a look. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think sweat stains in wrestling need yeah. to be way used more often. I love how the story they tell in this match where both Sean and Marty need to do lots of tag team moves together to get either of the big men off of their feet. And most of the offense done by the Twin Towers is, for lack of a better word, quite comfy. Like, you know, as the soft breasts of Akeem press against the forehead of Marty Jannetty, I thought, I wouldn't mind being in there. There's worse moves to take in wrestling than that. The Twin Towers have a great strategy in this match, which I've said someone should do this, which is just to keep tagging each other in. So yes. they've, they actually explain as well, the uh, the commentary team explain that when they tag in their their partner they have five seconds until they can tag themselves back out again yeah and so they keep taking advantage of this by tagging each other in so that they don't get tired it's smart strategy there it's clever the smart strategy though is what sean and marty do though which is just ignore that they're meant to tag and just run in and do yeah. shit whatever they want <laughs> which is fun but when the announcer jesse ventura is like they shouldn't be allowed to do that and by the 10th time he said it i was like okay jesse you read the rules <laughs> fucking whoop de damn do like it was around this moment that I asked if Boss Man ever went off the top rope. And I was like, Joe, do you believe in life after love? I mean, of course. I did. I, I said, I'm not going to say. Thinking, I know the Boss Man is going to fly in at least one of these matches. And apropos of nothing, the big man went right up to the top. He did not fly, though. He didn't. He kind of, like, plummeted, mm. I think is maybe like... Stumbled and fell. It's like he tripped midair. It was amazing. He was... He was <laughs> 
flying off the top rope and then something happened in the air that made his momentum shift and I don't know how all I can assume is that a ghost tripped him up or something like that <laughs> there's also a moment as well where Shawn Michaels he like bops into Akeem and Akeem is like I'm going to give him a little clothesline now but because Akeem is just so big and him pivoting and turning around he literally decapitates yeah. poor Shawn like these lads are big strong boys Get a double drop kick to the boss man, which looks very, very scary as one rocker lands a little bit lighter than the other one. So he gets drop kicked and then has another man's legs land on his face. <laughs> Massive powerbomb to Sean by Big Boss Man who catches it midair. And then we get the fucking awfully named Air Africa as Akeem flops slowly onto Shawn Michaels. That is a... W- when you look at that post 9-11... Air Africa... From the Twin Towers, and he just falls onto someone. It is just, it's a weird... He did kind of crumple onto him, didn't he? Like, mm. yeah, it was uh, an odd dynamic, let's just say. The tower collapsed. He sure did. And they pick up the win here, Bossman and Akeem. Jive Soul Bro plays us out to finish this one. Joe, what were your thoughts on this short, fast-paced match? It was a bit crap. Really? Yeah. Not a fan? No. Why should I be? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's like... I think for, like, the context of the time of, like... Because everyone on this, like... This is, like, a WrestleMania 5 we're at, where pretty much everyone is slow, plodding around. Ah, oh, but that's not really true, though, no. is it? I mean, I guess you did have, you know, Macho Man and stuff Brett at the time Hart as well. Hart and yeah. Owen Hart. That's true, yeah, we did have those names. Other pe- Mr. Perfect. Yeah, that's true, I take Other people point. we've done episodes on. So I, I just didn't really enjoy this match. I yeah. thought it was a bit slow, cumbersome. There were obviously a few botches. I really appreciated what the Rockers were doing. They're obviously great wrestlers, mm-hmm. but I've come across Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels before, so I knew that already. Yeah. But as a first step into the wrestling career of boss man i was not impressed i think this is one which i realize now that's probably more impressive to watch if you are only used to the boss man's later career and then you can kind of come back and see that he was a much heavier man who still moved quite nimbly oh yeah he definitely moves nimbly for his size but i come from i'm a modern fan i'm used to samoa joe and kevin owens and and Cassius Ono, like lots of big, heavy guys who can move at the speed of light. So that's not that impressive to me. I guess, Soz. That's true. I take your point. I guess it very much though does, by you mentioning that, I think he's very much though probably, not to say an inspiration because you don't know who individual wrestlers' inspirations are, but very much kind of like he set in stone very much that style of wrestling of being that big, heavy set guy who could move very, very Showed fast. Showed it could be done, yeah. Yeah, and he was one of the first people to do it on the WWE, uh, on the WWF's yeah. show. Yeah, and that is that is impressive at the time, yeah, absolutely. I gave the match two out of five stars. Two out of five stars. Sorry. You never need to apologise for your star rating. Except for that match with Vince versus Shane. That's true. Other than that, uh, if you rate anything like that again wrong, I will uh, cancel this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> you, you have been warned, like... So the big boss man found himself in the late 80s on a different side of the wrestling morality alignment as Slick, that no good underhanded manager of his, was taking money on the side from Ted DiBiase and expected all of his men to do the same. You see, Joe, Ted DiBiase is the million dollar man, which meant that he had 
a million dollars, which is pretty much all the money in the world. So he could buy and sell anyone in wrestling to do his bidding. Funny to think that these days, if there was going to be a wrestler with that gimmick, it would have to be the billion dollar man. That's true. Or the trillion dollar man, even, Mm. I would imagine. I mean, the million dollar man seemed to have limitless means, like, you know. And you can blow through a billion in no time at all, I'm sure, like, you know. (laughs) So they did this gimmick where... The boss man, even though it had been established that he was a cruel, mean, horrid, police brutality uh, avatar, he would not take a bribe because... Right, he'll tie people up, handcuff them, and then beat them while restrained. But yes. he won't take a bribe. No, because he's got morals, Joe, you right. see. That's the reason why the boss man wouldn't take the money. And they did, like, this is where you got to see boss man starting to do promos. And I think it's something that he's really underrated about, or his promos, about... Honestly, not the easiest subject material to get fans to cheer around, which is law, justice, and order, and the police officers, and the men and women of the United States Police Department. You know, not the easiest verbiage in the world, but he would cut these mad and passionate promos about how he'd never take a bribe and how America had been crippled by dirty cops and corruption and whatnot. And of course, there was lots of stuff like that in the news at the time as well. You know, surprisingly, there was always something in the news about cops that could be used for his character. But they did all these great segments where the million dollar man Ted DiBiase went down to Cobb County, Georgia to meet his old like workmates and stuff and be like, yeah, I heard that the, the big boss man when he worked here in Cobb County, he was on the take all the time and stuff like that. And people would be like, oh, no, big boss man would never take a bribe. He was too good for that. And they, they did a segment where <laughs> the million dollar man was going to pay off a corrections guard to prove that everyone has a price in Cobb County, Georgia. But, like, they got in massive trouble because it's like, you can't go down to this actual place and simulate that a member of the corrections facility would take a bribe from (laughs) you and say that everyone would. Like, it's... They got in trouble for that, so they couldn't do that anymore. (laughs) But Boston was established as a good guy, and as a result, he started being made fun of by someone we've also done an episode on not too long ago, Mr. Bobby the Brain Heenan, who just randomly out of the blue in a segment with the Boston decided to make fun of his mother, because, you know... That's what Bobby does. That's what Bobby does, and... All of a sudden, then, Boston's cutting impassionate promos, not about law and justice and order, but about his mama... And when you go out there, Bobby Heenan, you make fun of my mama, my mama who raised me, who put the clothes on my back, my mama, there ain't no other. So brother, treat her right, treat her right. He was cutting these great promos about how fucking lovely his mother was. Can you imagine all the cops in America at the time who must have fucking loved this shit? Yeah, the amount of apple pies that were passed around the stations. Like, I was watching wrestling last week and I thought, what have I done for my police officer brethren recently (laughs) who love their mothers so like have some flowers why don't you so this was leading up to a big feud as uh, the boss man tore his way through every member of the Bobby Heenan family to get his hands on Mr. Perfect at Wrestlemania 7 this is one of the boss man's only shots at the Intercontinental Championship and it happened at the big show Wrestlemania 7 which was a show that uh had bomb threats. What? So yeah, uh, we'll talk about that in some other episode. You'll find out all about the bomb threats. In hashtag how to bomb threats. <laughs> Please don't send us bomb threats with your tweets using that hashtag. It's not, not, not on. <laughs> this is the same WrestleMania where we saw 
Ultimate Warrior defeat Macho Man Randy Savage and force him to fall in love with Elizabeth again. Oh, good match. Good match indeed. Mr. Perfect taking on the Big Boss Man. And the first thing we've noticed about the Big Boss Man here is that he's very much a medium boss man at this point in time. He's hmm. lost a shit ton of weight. Yeah, he's looking well. Looking very well. Apparently it's because he had knee problems. It was like... You've got mm. problems with your knee, lose weight, or your knee's going to be fucked and you won't be able to wrestle. So he lost a load of weight and good on him. Like, he was 400 pounds at one point, which is very fucking heavy indeed. Boston coming out as the good guy. I have to bring this up because you told me you didn't like it. The boss man's entrance music when yeah, he's a good guy. Don't like it. You don't, if you ever take a trip down to Cop County, Georgia, mm. why don't you? I don't know, I just don't like it. It's not catchy. You don't want to serve hard times. No. <laughs> kind of corny. You know the big boss man away. It's, it is corny, yes. Sounds like something a shit dad would listen to. Oh, no. repeat in, in a car. Well then, I may have listened to that on repeat in a car, but I'm not a shit dad, I'll have mm, you know. Not far off from it though, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, if I did have a kid and I didn't know about it, <laughs> That'd be pretty shit. I would be, yeah, I, I would have fit that exact mold. I'm a shit dad who listened to the boss fans theme on repeat, and I'd be a bad dad. I accept that. Bobby is in the corner of Mr. Perfect, who looking a little bit tired here, I think. Oh, he's looking old. I mean, he still can do all the Mr. Perfect things, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the start of this match, when they get into the ring... Mr. Perfect actually does some great towel banter with Boss Man. Oh, they work this towel beautifully. They work the towel, they work the gum. So Mr. Perfect throws his towel at the Boss Man, who then wipes his ass with it. Boom! And throws it back in Mr. Perfect's face. Also, may I just say, Boss Man, how decadent of you, yeah, like, wiping your ass with a, t- a towel, you say? I'm going to the toilet, get me some beach towels! <laughs> I had chili, get me three, like, you know. Well then, in some houses we use toilet paper. Amazing towel play, though, absolutely. It's incredible towel play, and it's all in one quick motion. And then Mr. Perfect, not to be outdone, spits his gum at Boss Man, as, as Mr. Perfect did. And then Boss Man just spits in his face. Now, see, this is the thing, right? When you've got wrestlers, you've got lots of gimmicks and they all come into play at the start. Love like, it. You know? The towel and the gum. Such simple things. It would have been know. the holy trinity for me if the boss man had had his nightstick, done some fancy stick work, and then, like, thrown it at Mr. Perfect, who'd then, like, followed up by doing some further stick work. I would have had him pick up the gum with the butt of his truncheon Ooh. and then hold it up and be like, we don't litter in the city Shove of it Los back Angeles. in his mouth. Yeah, you know? <laughs> And then he would have someone choke on a nightstick, just like you said. Oh my god. Gorilla Monsoon on commentary here in this one, who is with Lord Alfred Hayes, who Joe was a bit enamoured with. The, oh, uh, I love him. You like his lordship, Lord Alfred Hayes? He's such a silly English man. I am not sure what's going on in this ring. I heard talk to some of the wrestlers before this match, and they said that they would indeed be wrestling here tonight in the wrestling contest. <laughs> I feel like they found Lord Alfred Hayes like on a road somewhere on the way to the show. We're like, we're short of a commentary team member. You have an accent. Come on board. You are so close to the truth there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah, Alfred Hayes is pretty much a man who managed to make an entire career for himself by happening to be photographed in the Royal Albert Hall with some members of the royal family. Like, wow. And has managed to parlay that into lifelong legendary status within the McMahon <laughs> family, crime family. Ah, the English Paul Heyman. Gorilla Monsoon has got a serious issue, Joe. He can't call anything that is attached to a head a face. It's not a face. It's a kisser. 
Oh. Everything is a kisser. Clothesline right in the kisser. He looked at him right in the kisser. Did you see the look on the kisser of the big boss fan? I mean, is he got an issue there? He's got kissing on the brain. He wants to be kissed. I mean, Gorilla. I mean, I, I hear you, man. Everyone loves a good kiss, like, you know. Very sad if Gorilla Monsoon never got his kiss that he was Aww. after, you know. Just dropping hints everywhere, like, you know. Sure would like a kiss. He's there on his birthday, like, going, man, imagine if someone planted a kisser on my kiss. Whoa, well, you know. Well, we got you this juicer, Gorilla. Will you stop? <laughs> the hair twirl that the boss man does to Mr. Perfect at the start where he grabs his hair and then he starts spinning around. Uh, How the fuck do you do that? I don't know. It just must be really painful. It's like Mr. Perfect got like muscles in his hair or something like <laughs> if that. If anyone like, was going to have muscles in their hair, it would be Mr. Perfect. It's very impressive right there. Like, I'd love to see that done again in modern wrestling. Well, I mean, when I saw that spot, the first thing that came to mind, and forgive me, but I've spent six years of my life professionally watching Attitude Era, and most of the time the women wrestled, that was the move they would do. It's that you grab the hair and you do the, the big hair spin around, and 90% of the offense in the late 90s between women was related to the hair. But, That's why it's got to be so long. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Matt, I think if it's longer, would it be easier? Yeah, because you've got more hair. Ah, what extensions, though? How would that come into it? Cause... Oh, no, I don't think you could do it with extensions. Could you do it with extensions? I'm asking you. I've never worn well, I've extensions. never had them. Really? Yeah, no, they're really expensive. Oh, okay. I was wondering, because, like, if someone pulls on an extension, is that as sore as someone pulling on your hair? I don't know. All I know is that extensions are, like, glued to your scalp. Yeah. So... I imagine that would hurt, and I imagine it would hurt even more if they came unstuck. Ah, interesting. But needless to say here, great hair work from the big boss yeah. man. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Mr. Perfect is, like, such a great opponent for the boss man, because the boss man is so fast and nimble, and he sells great. But Mr. Perfect being that rubber ball man again, bouncing around for all the moves of the boss man, I fucking loved it. He randomly just takes off his belt and starts it's a bit whip. sexy a little bit starts slowly undressing Whoa. there is something sexy about a guy undoing a belt that wow. is just something about that but then <laughs> i was worried because it was like he was taking it off in a kind of seductive kind of way like he was gonna fuck him well there's gonna be some serious hard times ahead here like you oh, know corrections facility officers i mean i don't trust them we've watched all of us like and i've watched it twice so you know we, we speak with some some clarity on this topic like but it's okay because then he just beats him with it so just so we're aware here so this is great i'm just like kind of making a mental list here mm. the slow undoing of a belt that is a sexy thing. I don't know if it's universally considered sexy. I think it's sexy. Okay, right. Is, is this the first time you've seen it employed in wrestling? In yeah. A, in a sexy way? Like? Yeah. Because wrestlers have taken off belts before, but I would hazard to say it's never really been sexy. Like, <laughs> Would you know? I mean, no, but I don't think Vince McMahon is the main person I could think of who uh, takes off his belt. And that was to that was to be a hornswoggle with it. And that wasn't sexy yeah, at all. Like. Think, yeah, the mental image of Vince McMahon taking off a belt is not a sexy one. Okay, Big time question here now. And I know it's difficult because... Oh, I know where this is going. You know where it's going, right? Mm. But there's no better time because this is when he's a good guy boss man who loves his mama. And even though he's still wearing a Confederate flag, this is the closest we get to like proper, pure-hearted, lawful good boss man. Is he a hunk? Oh, I hate to say it, but I think he is. Really? Has he got hunk-like attributes here? Yeah, he's kind of... He's a bit sexy as boss man. That low-cut top, like. I yeah. mean, the cleavage alone, like. I've got a weakness for those unbuttoned shirts. Interesting. Very good. You're taking notes there. Unbuttoned 
shirts. This isn't yeah. anything you don't already know, Kevin. Well, what if I was to start twirling a nightstick around the home? If you can do it well. What if I was to cook you a dog? No, don't do that. What if I was to go to your father's funeral mm. and ask your grieving mother if she would like to date a man like me and mm. then get some chains in the coffin and drive away? No. I'd have to call an Uber now, though, because I haven't got a car anymore. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be awkward, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's much less sexy. It's just good to know what is and isn't sexy when we're going okay, through so stuff like this. If it's the Blues Brothers mobile, yeah. sexy. Okay, obviously. If it's an Uber, yeah. not sexy. Not sexy, no. You want to invoke Dan Aykroyd in, in your sexy work. Not, you know, you don't want to invoke the, the people in Silicon Valley who invested in Uber. Those are not sexy people, like... <laughs> The shirt is slowly undone as the battle commences. We get a long abdominal stretch on the big boss man to show off the uh, the, the inside tummy of, of the big boss man. And Bobby Heenan goes over to the timekeeper. He's like, you might as well just ring the bell now. Actually, I insist that you ring the bell right now. He's, he's not giving up now, but honestly, I'm saving you time and embarrassment. If you just ring the bell now, you're not going to have to look over and be a second late and be embarrassed. Like, yeah. You want people to think that you're snappy at this, right? <laughs> Bobby Heenan starts putting the boots to Bossman when he gets uh, knocked out into the outside. But like any time Bossman gets his hands on Mr. Perfect, it is a big little flourish and a twirl, a little spin. It's really great. And Bossman is a good guy. He's really good at doing that kind of pantomime look to the crowd. You know? Oh, it's so good. And such an underrated part of wrestling, which I don't think is utilised nearly as well in current wrestling mm. as it was back at this time. Why does it that a little look to the crowd... like? The, the spot is, is where Mr. Perfect's legs are right by the ring post. He's like, we're going to pull his legs and hit his willy against the turnbuckle. But he does the slow and he does the look. What is it about the look that makes it more than? I think it's because it's a look to the crowd, which almost says, you know what I'm going to do here? Do you want me to do it? Yeah. Or, you know, if you don't do anything, I might not do it. And of course, everyone wants him to do the spot. Yeah. So the look is like an invitation to go, yeah, do the spot, do the spot. Because I always think that the look is kind of like, wait a minute. You think I could do this? Like, oh, I don't think it's that at all. You're right, because I, I think it's like it's, I need the encouragement nah, from the crowd. Like. I think it's, I'm going to do this, but, you know, I need I need the swell of all the fans. <laughs> the booing. great swell of grassroots support, <laughs> like. So Bossman is being worked over. Heenan is putting in some very light kicks on the outside. Bobby Heenan spoke so highly of the Bossman in the interviews that I watched with him, just Aww. about how lovely he was. And the main reason he liked working with him is that he's one of the few wrestlers who would put his hands on him, who would never hurt him. You know, just, he was really safe with him. And like, for a big guy who, I mean, the theme, a lot of what we've watched with him early on is kind of like, God doesn't know his own strength. You know, stronger than he realizes, faster than he realizes, a big farm boy type of thing. He looks like he hits hard. But he, everyone says that he's super nice guy, never really that dangerous, except for Stone Cold Steve Austin, who in one of his two rotating stories about the big boss man, Talks about the time where he went, God damn, I was in a match with the big boss man and he punched me lots. And I was like, Good. He's, he punched me really hard. So I hit him really, really hard back. And as I was hitting him really hard, he said, sorry. City oh. <laughs> of like, Austin doing his big comeback. I think I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's so cute. Random appearance here. Andre the Giant in his Sims casual outfit. <laughs> yeah, it's like you've gotten a new DLC for your Sims, but you don't. You know they've added a it's new the hot weather. Yeah, it's like they've added a new set of clothing, but mm. you've not 
added it in for your previous sim, so it's auto-assigned it, and you think, that doesn't really suit them, but whatever, it's a party now, so <laughs> here's Andrew the Giant in his really weird clothes. I think this is a point in Andre's life where he is very, very sore. Did you notice how he moved? Um, He's always moved in the same ways. In everything I've seen Andre the Giant, which is slow, and as if he's in a lot of pain. You've never seen Andre, like, because you've seen the Hogan stuff, really, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. Think you've ever seen him not in excruciating pain? Uh, was there a time? Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, back in the seventies and even the very early eighties, Andre was a lot more nimble than he was uh, in later years. It's it's sad because like, when he was a super global superstar, he was in a lot of pain for for a lot of reasons. And just seeing him here, like he has to put his hand on the ring apron. I don't know if you noticed that yeah. he couldn't even stand on his own two feet, mm. which is really sad because like. This match is like, there's a lot of like, it's really fast paced and Andre comes out for this kind of bit with Bobby and it just kind of falls apart a bit because no one seems to be able to communicate to Andre what he's meant to do and he's just does whatever the fuck he wants. And when you've got a giant there, the, the usual rule of thumb is just let him do whatever the fuck he wants because like, you're not going to get him to do anything other than what he's going to do. Oh. So yeah, I forgot this had this very odd end to it here. Bossman gets hit with an exposed turnbuckle, and Mr. Perfect gets hit in the face with a fucking championship belt. Still no disqualification at this point. No, which is weird, because then we get members of Bobby Heenan's family... Yes. ...coming out, and then we get a DQ. Finally do we get a DQ, yeah. I don't know why they warrant a DQ, and all the other things that happened in this match don't. Belts, giants, and championship titles are all okay, but once you get the Barbarian and the Warlord in there, or Meng, or anyone that's, or Haku, no, absolutely not. Get out of here, Heenan family. No right. way. It was a fast-paced match, evidenced by the fact that the boss man no longer had sweat patches at the end. He was legitimately soaked through. He he, met, he brought the shade of his shirt down two octaves. Yeah, you get, what's the opposite of a sweat patch? A dry patch? He had a couple of those. <laughs> you got a dark blue-ass shirt is what he had at yeah. the end of this one. Joe, Mr. Perfect, somebody you're a fan of, and the big boss man, what did you think of this match from WrestleMania 7? It was a lot better than, I, in my opinion, than the, the last match mm-hmm. we watched, but it was still, I don't know, it, it's st- it was a bit of a strange match. I didn't like all the, the random finish, finish the in end. the end. Yeah. yeah, but the actual, the main part of the match I really enjoyed, so I gave it three stars out of five. Nice. I think what's very interesting about going back and watching some of this Hogan stuff again, I think it's really funny, like, there was a constant complaint from fans, which is like, oh, I wanted to go back to the old days when you had proper finishes. <laughs> you know, and if you, like, honestly, that WrestleMania 5 and WrestleMania 7, you could go through them, and more often, more matches than not end in count-outs, DQs, or no contests, isn't draws. There, isn't there a literal phrase, the dusty finish? Yeah, I know. That it's... refers to around this time of wrestling? Yeah, it was very much like, this is when they realised, hey, we don't have to give away finishes, you know. And I just think it's funny when, you know, WrestleMania that just went by 35 were in 2019, and you had, what, 17 matches, whatever the fucking ridiculous yeah. number it was. All of them had pretty much clean finishes. And even anything that had remotely not a clean finish, fans were like, <laughs> Imagine if you had that in eight-hour WrestleMania and four of those hours involved DQs and countouts. Oh, it would be exhausting. Now, Bossman was on his way out at this time. But there's one last thing we needed to talk about before Bossman leaves 
the WBF for the first time. There was a character that was brought in around this time. There was a, a guy who was wrestling as the Viking down in Bill Watts territory who uh, was apparently had a great unique look about him. Wasn't a people person, but uh, had, a, had a bit of a presence, a big man. And he was brought in. The idea was that we were going to have a character from the big boss man's past come in as like an attraction. And the idea for this character was Nails. Nails was going to be a former charge of the big boss man's, a convict who was in his care in the Cobb County Correctional Facility, who was now coming out to speak about the truth about the big boss man and everything that he had done. Now, forgive me, folks, because I care a little bit about what Joe thinks about the world of wrestling, and I will try to not actively bore her if I can. So I didn't show her the fucking nightstick on a pole match, which is basically like watching paint dry as it wrestles against grass growing. <laughs> <laughs> but I did show Joe some of Nails, his interview segments, the vignettes, and the face-to-faces with the big boss man. Nails. Mm. With a Z. With a Z. With a Z. Cool. What did you think of Nails? How would you describe him, first of all? He's a very large, bold, scary-looking man mm-hmm. who wears a prison's outfit yeah which is quite funny because all the time he's talking about how i'm a free man now boss man so why is he still dressed like a prisoner i paid my debt to society and now i'm wearing a jumpsuit with my number on it <laughs> move I- on <laughs> He's clearly got some unresolved issues. He needs to help this man. What um, on earth did Boss Man do to him that irrevocably damaged him so? This is what's very interesting about the whole thing with Nails. And Nails is, is one of those characters in wrestling who's interesting from both a kayfabe perspective and incredibly interesting from a what happened in real life perspective. But from a kayfabe perspective... He had been released from prison, and he had been in there for many years. They had never, they never revealed what Nails was in prison for. He, he refused to say. All he would say was that he paid his debt to society. Something so real it, dark shit, then. Obviously, but it, it was it playing off the thing where, like, oh, a prisoner who thinks that they've paid their debt to society, so therefore they think that they they don't owe us anything. So it was kind of maybe playing a bit off of that. Like he wouldn't say why he went to prison for. And they're like, well okay, fine, if that's the way you want to play it. What's the point of calling it a corrections facility if you don't correct the people within it? Like, if you're not going to believe in the idea of rehabilitation, why even call it a corrections facility at all? So, Nails claimed that the big boss man, contrary to the non-bribe-taking mother enthusiast that he had been made out to be on wrestling, was actually a cruel and sadistic person who had, on more than one occasion, mercilessly beaten with nails with a nightstick. He had handcuffed him during riots. He had tossed his cell without reason. He basically had put... He was the worst screw in the joint, according to nails. And nails would always have the nightstick that the boss man used to beat me with. Now, Nail's voice, which is really fun to do, just around the house, like, you know. Uh, like, yesterday, when I went to, you know, I was preparing for this episode, I was like, Joe, do you want to have your falafel now? I'm tired of not having dinner with you. There's gonna be hummus, Joe Graham. It looks like it's really bad for your blood pressure to do it that is. voice. It I've, is. I've, I've got my dander up now, officially. <laughs> You're okay. I'm fine. You're going to be exhausted by the end of this episode. And this is why we have not decided to do the nails match. What? How? What is it with the voice, though? I find that voice creepy as 
fuck. Me too, but more importantly, I cannot understand it. Like, literally, I couldn't understand a single word he was saying. It was just muffled. It was a little confusing because, like, we found this thing where it was like, you know, Superstars Wrestling, where it's like Vince McMahon in the studio, and it was like, oh, this will explain it all. And it's like, Nails? Why exactly are you after the big boss man? <laughs> well, that's very interesting. A big boss man. Do you have any thoughts on this? Let me tell you about nail man. I've been reading the file about nails. I know all about you. You got me all sick of now. And all the time he's doing that, nails is going. <laughs> he's like jacking off the nightstick. He. It's so sexual. He is fucking. Ooh, it's aggressive. Honestly, I I get that feeling. I got a black pudding for my birthday. You know, what? as a treat. Where and is this going? When, when I was in the kitchen, I was like slamming it in my hand, going, <laughs> "When I'm gonna get my hands on you, Bosh <laughs> But uh, Nails made a bit of a mistake in the video that we were watching with him, didn't he? He went a little bit got a bit too far in, didn't he? Oh yeah. So I just rubbed my hand all over my mouth there to ex- explain to. Joe. Just came all over his face. It's disgusting. <laughs> so, no, he he spat everywhere, and it just looked like cum. For a second, I thought what had happened was that you know the sexual imagery had gotten so much that it transcended imagery. It's like, and all of a sudden, this nightstick's just jizzing everywhere. But no, <laughs> literally, nails had just gotten himself to a point so ornery that his mouth was covered. In a thick white liquid. And meanwhile, you have Bossman falling over his words. Where, like, Bossman's really angry and he's like, he's, he's, he's literally... He gets too angry and at yeah. one point he's like, Whoop, zip, mm, I have to calm down a second, look over here. Okay, I'm back to my point. Yeah, and like, Bossman doesn't necessarily deny anything that he says. He's like, yeah, I beat you while you were defenseless, but I read your files, so I know. And he literally says, I know there are some people that the system can't rehabilitate. You should have never got out, and I'm going to show you hard times. Like, See, boss man was always evil. I, that's it, right? Because how the fuck... I mean, Nails is evil. We can, we can assume sure, that, right? it's possible to have two evils. Yeah, and I just think the boss man, like... Well, he's, maybe he start. This is the slippery slope, isn't it? No, Here. I think it started before then. You reckon? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. You know how they said how he never took bribes, mm. and oh, what a good guy for never taking bribes. I don't think that's a good guy thing. I think that is boss man having his own priorities personal ah. to him. He's not led by money. He is led by power. And his own crooked sense exactly. of power dynamics. Yeah, he does things because he wants to do things, not for anyone else, and not for money. That's because you know what? There's always someone in Oz or Orange is the New Black where it's like, oh, that prison officer, like, you know, they're not, they're not dirty in the sense that you can't get favors out of them in exchange for stuff. But stay away from them though, because yeah. they're like Metzger in season three of, of Oz. No, I'm not saying the boss man was a Nazi, but I'm saying that he was a brutal piece of work. Like you required know? listening before this episode. You all, watched all, all of, of Oz. Oz. Like, what did you think about Tobias Beecher? I think he got a rough go of it in the end. To be honest, like <laughs> the boss man doesn't really do a good job of defending himself against Nails' charge here, and I think the only reason he comes off as a goody in this at all is that when Nails says. Who's the boss now, boss man? It just seems very creepy. Ugh. I think, I mean, in fairness, this is like literally something which you would think you would cheer for these days, where it's like, hey, this guy was in prison, this fucking corrections officer 
beat the shit out of him mercilessly. Now he's a free man. He's pulled himself up by his bootstraps, has become a professional wrestler, has been signed to the biggest company in the world for <laughs> wrestling with the sole purpose of getting his revenge. That's some fucking Rio and Shenmue levels of dedication <laughs> and honor here. What a nasty heel. Seriously, like, you know, I'm just saying, Nails, he'd be on a fucking boat to Hong Kong to find a boss man. He'd be, he'd be all over that shit, like. <laughs> so, yeah, the feud with Nails kind of peters out a little bit and... Bossman is on his way shortly thereafter. The problem with Nails is that he was very much a character who was designed solely to exist alongside another character. And once that feud was over, I mean, they did Nails and The Undertaker, but like, oh. you know, Nails couldn't wrestle for shit. It's like, what the fuck would Nails wrestle The Undertaker for? Like, you know, who's the dead man now, dead man? <laughs> I was there at the morticians every time you took in those bodies. <laughs> He, he was on the take, you see, as a mortician, you see, The Undertaker, you know, and he was dirty, and uh, Nails knew that, like, you know. <laughs> Nails speaks truth to power, and a lot of people couldn't handle that. Sure. But, of course, Nails' real-life instances of speaking truth to power feel to be a lot more interesting, and we can't talk about the boss man's exit from the WWF without first maybe briefly mentioning how Nails found his way outside of the WWF family. Did you know what Nails did to Vince McMahon? Didn't he testify against him? He did, yeah. We mentioned that in our Vince episode. Uh, Nails was one of the people who testified against Vince at the steroids trial in 1993. That was it. However, Nails' testimony was not very admissible or not very convincing because it was like, did you, Mr. Nails, ever wish ill will upon Vince McMahon, the man sitting there in the neck brace? Yes, I choked him and I'll choke every one of you in the jury as well. Oh my God. So yeah, Nails had an outburst in the court proceedings where he admitted to wanting to kill Vince McMahon previously. And he had. He held up Vince McMahon for money. He wanted $150,000 after SummerSlam where he wrestled and felt he didn't get enough money. And when Vince said no, he started choking him. And when he was found choking Vince and pulled off him, he said that Vince McMahon molested him. And then afterwards, he said Vince McMahon had molested him previously in Madison Square Garden. Now, there are eyewitnesses or as close to eyewitnesses as you could have, as in someone right outside the door or someone coming into the door as it was happening. Earl Hebner was there. Bret Hart was there. Both of them literally told the story as in there was calm discussions and then you could hear a high-pitched shouting from Nails, who actually had quite a high-pitched voice. They really? they distorted his voice. They lowered it. I could tell they had distorted it yeah. because I couldn't understand anything he was saying. Yeah, not me, though. That's pure man right there, okay? But <laughs> <laughs> Nails, uh, they heard him screaming, and then they heard what was described as a gurgling sound, which is oh, pretty God. much, I'm sure, the sound of Vince McMahon choking him. So, like, this was a bit of a strange one, because when I told him, I was like, yeah, Nails, he choked Vince McMahon, and you were like, yay! <laughs> but I think... Nails possibly falsely claiming molestation charges against Vince. That's a bit gross. Which really made Vince a little bit bulletproof in many mm. ways. And also in that trial, I mean, I've heard legal analysis of that trial where people have said that Nails literally handed the case. Like, not to say that Vince would have been indicted for definite, but it certainly made it very easy to clear him once you had the star witness or one of them say, yes, I have a personal grievance against this man. The man in the neck brace who you say you've choked. Oh, God. You know, and Nails was not a people person. And you can't imagine what that went like on the stand, like, uh, you know, with the fucking nightstick in his hand. Going, <laughs> <laughs> Just spat in my face to do that. So sorry. <laughs> 
Imagine if nails, they brought him up on Spit stand on and he was wearing his prison outfit like, now you're an upstanding citizen, Mr. Nails, is that true? That is correct. I've paid my debt to society. Maybe don't threaten to choke the members of the jury if you're testifying. So yeah, Nails and the Big Boss Man, a tangled web was weaved there. But the Big Boss Man, unfortunately, Pastures Green were offered in WCW and he, much like everyone else at the time, was offered big money to go work a lighter schedule over at Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling. And that's where he found himself for the next four or so years under a whole variety of different names. Firstly, he was the boss, which was then led to WCW being sued by WWF for using his exact character, which they owned the rights to. I do feel if you're going to be called the boss, you have to be playing like an Alan Sugar type character. (laughs) I'm fixing to fire you! (laughs) On the nightstick twirling task, Team Graphene, you done fucked up! (laughs) If he... Bossman was Alan Sugar. We had to figure out who the Claude and Karen were going to be. I bet Al Snow would be would be Claude. I think. Oh maybe, yeah. You know, I'm not sure who could fill in for Karen. Like no. maybe Terry Runnels, his his friend from the road. Like, but yeah, the boss was literally just the boss man, where he was twirling a nightstick. He had a slightly different coloured shirt. Like you know, barely. It is he, is just the big boss man. Yeah. Other gimmick he wrestled as uh, Big Bubba Rogers again. He also wrestled under his real name of Ray Trailer. He was kind of like you for he was just one of the guys who was there he wasn't used in a lot of main feuds he was in the nwo like everyone else was he also was given a gimmick at one point called the guardian now (laughs) the guardian i like left-wing publicly funded journalism in untrying times it's hard to know where to trust new sources with the guardian (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh, the boss man was the guardian and the guardian's are the Guardian Angels, I should say, are a real-life voluntary organization in America that was quite prolific during the mid-90s when gang violence was on the rise. And the idea was that the Guardian Angels would be these citizen vigilantes who would not use violence and they would be peaceful presences on the streets. You recognize them from their saucy red berets and their white um, shirts that they would wear. They'd walk around, trying you know, make sure there was... You know, where there weren't bobbies on the beat, you might have a guardian angel walking around. Okay. And they were non-violent. They would do citizens' arrests or they would try and talk to gangs or people on the streets or talk to kids. Yeah, you know, try to do like community support officers do. That sounds great. Around here. It's a, it's a pretty good idea. I'm not going to lie. I know fuck all about the guardians. and I'm not going to get set up and say they're, they're it's a great concept. Mm. I don't know anything about anything to do really with the guards other than it, it was a, a real neat idea I know they made fun of it in the office as well you know when Dwight has his oh, yeah. uh, guardians of the night whatever they're called and they play flashlight tag and stuff like that and their shirt says we are unarmed <laughs> That's that was based off the guardian but the boss was given the gimmick of, uh, of the guardian he was a guardian angel and he thought it was disrespectful this is in real life he thought it was disrespectful to them to just take the moniker and the gimmick so he actually went, he did the training to what? become a legitimate guardian angel. And in 1994, he was given his official guardian angel title at a ceremony. So he is, he did become a shoot guardian angel to wow. have this gimmick. Which I think is pretty cool for, you know, kayfabe wise. Hmm. You know, he was playing a corrections officer. Well, he was a corrections officer. And now he's playing a guardian angel. So I'm going to become a guardian angel like. Out of context of what the guardian angels actually are, it's quite funny to think of big boss man becoming a guardian angel yeah that's true yeah i mean the idea though of 
The nastiest guardian angel. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, yeah, we patrol the streets, we find any dogs belonging to gangs, and we cook them, you know, uh, and we, 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 we interrupt the funerals of, uh, of gang leaders. Uh, <laughs> you know, all good stuff, unarmed stuff and whatnot. So his tenure in WCW was not particularly notable, other than him collecting lots of paychecks, nearly as many paychecks as he had names, as he had hot dinners. But there was one match that was pointed out to us that we had to watch, mainly because it was one of the most hard-hitting, crazy encounters of the year. And also, probably the best thing he did at WCW. This is from Spring Stampede in 1994, as the boss takes on Big Van Vader in, I quote, a gigantic grudge match. What's a gigantic grudge match? It's when two big boys like this have got a problem with each other and they have to have a match. What a silly name. You don't like the the alliteration, gigantic grudge? Oh, I do. It's just very silly. (laughs) So he is the boss here. He is essentially the boss man to the point where Bobby Heenan on commentary doesn't even attempt to call him the boss. He literally just calls him boss man. And while we're talking on the subject of Bobby Heenan on commentary... We start off this match with a look from Bobby Heenan to Tony Schiavone with just the utmost of detestful, loathsome... He absolutely hates him so much. I would classify the look as withering. Yes. <laughs> like, you are shit that doesn't even belong on the bottom of my shoe. You said it when we were watching this. You said, like, Bobby Heenan's got so many ways to, like, let it be known that he, you know, he's an antagonist or he doesn't like you. That, yeah. that are entertaining. Like. Yeah, absolutely. Like his whole career is him being nasty to people. And you can tell that it's all in like, it's it's a bit of fun yeah. for him. And he's not, he doesn't mean it. And it's all a bit loving, really. It's the character or whatever. Not when it comes to WCW and Tony Schiavone. He yeah. fucking hates him. He hates him so much. <laughs> so this match is for those of you like myself who like the idea of very large machines colliding into each other this is your old dryer and your mom's old dryer who both make loads of noise getting into the ring and smashing against each other i was gonna call it monster trucks but i think two two dryers is actually more accurate here or like two of the transformers who you know there's the transformers who turn into um like construction transformers (laughs) but they say you know what let's do this one as or construction forms not as the robots like so <laughs> digger versus you know big roly machine here we go it's crazy Bossman has a, such a cheap outfit here i hate it so much it literally looks like he's bought it from poundland and summer's boss man no outfit, like no because and summer's would be probably like 30 quid for yeah like that. pretty decent quality for the most yeah. part you know that I, sorry i betrayed the confidence as a as a, as a consumer there <laughs> i shouldn't have said that like no like a poundland one like a poundland one <laughs> the match starts when vader is coming out and immediately runs after the boss man, misses, and squashes his pub landlord manager, Harley Race. There are dives, there are sprints, there are leaps of faith in this match. Given the size of the competitors, I didn't think we'd see Vader running full kilt into the ropes and trying to dive over them. An attempt was certainly made. Yeah. It was not very successful. No, a lot of things got in the way. Vader's 400 pound frame, the laws of gravity and nature, uh, but the hubris was definitely there Mm. and it was much appreciated because I got a sense of this match that these guys were trying very, very hard to to kind of one-up each other almost Mm. and what they could do. It's ridiculous. Tony on commentary says, 
How long has it been since you last saw two big men fight it out in the ring? But this is professional wrestling, so probably like five minutes ago. And also as well, WCW, their motto at the time was literally, where the big boys play. Well, there you go. For fuck's sake, like, Tony Schiavone not adhering to the brand guidelines of WCW, <laughs> like... Bossman manages to scoop slam Vader, which is insane. And before you have a chance to breathe that in, there is a big back body drop, which is traditionally one of the safest moves in wrestling, where you just squat down and you lift a guy up as he runs against you. There's a big kind of roly-poly over you. You know, it's just a big Hmm. way. Get a bit of height there. Bossman falls out of the ring doing it. Yeah, it looks painful. Oh my, he nearly lands on his head. Is this when his eye starts bleeding? Yeah, no, Vader's eye starts beating around oh, this that's point. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Vader, I mean, how would you describe the punches of Vader? Hmm. Like if guns shot hams <laughs> instead of bullets. <laughs> or if, like, Vader punched you for real in yeah. the face. It's also like that. Like, he is a, uh, he is pretty bloody in this one. Vader and Bossman just start throwing hands and everyone is making a big, big, big noise. And then Vader's just like, bleeding in the eye and the forehead and he's all swollen up we saw a bit of vader in our mcfoley episode he's a scary man he is i was wondering what your thoughts are to this whole kind of well that's a great match or this is a great contest because we can see the the welts we can see the bruises we can see the the eyes swollen up that's hard way blood he's not cut himself i know you've been in screamish at times in wrestling is this very off-putting for you this type of um style that we've seen from vader i mean i don't prefer it but i am getting used to it by now mm. you're becoming I, slowly desensitized that being said whenever it comes to eyes no thank you yeah. the, the fact that his eye is so gross looking it literally looks like he's crying blood oh it is it's really sad like vader's so sad he's crying blood it's Ugh. fucking horrible speaking of eyes though i did show joe a lot of clips from the attitude podcast including the boss man getting fake glass stuck in his oh, eye oh god which is uh probably the most sympathetic the boss man has ever been in his career that was nasty he tosses vader around like a big sack of potatoes yeah this match is a lot like two sacks of potatoes fighting it out yeah lots of smashing no finesse Lots of rolling around. around yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I fucking adored every second of this. It, really? It was like two analogies coming together and smashing into each other. I absolutely loved it. I did not love it. I gave it one and a half stars. What? But Vader does a moonsault show. Yeah. That gets yeah. nothing out of you. That got the one and a half stars. Oh my God. Well, I'm not going to lie difference of opinion on this yeah. one. Yeah. You know, because I saw two big boys flipping around and beating the shit out of each other. It wasn't flipping. Vader did a moonsault. One, one flip. He flip. jumped over There the... was flip. Okay, Vader did a moonsault. Bossman dove to the outside. Vader okay. dove to the inside. Yeah, and fucked it up. <laughs> their heart was in the right place, even if their body wasn't. <laughs> Their body's gone pissed off on vacation. <laughs> so, uh, didn't enjoy this one then? No, not re- I mean, it was fine. Yeah. I wouldn't ever watch it again. No. <laughs> Nor would I really recommend anyone else watch it. Well, I mean, it, it depends on your tastes, I think. This yeah. is definitely not a modern classic by any stretch. But uh, if you are intrigued into the 
physical style of wrestling that this might be for you. Sure. In 1998, the Big Boss Man makes a triumphant return to the World Wrestling Federation. This is now in the height of Attitude Era, the show being written by Vince Russo. The story of the show is Vince McMahon and his corporation of evil bad guys like The Rock and The Big Show and Ken Shamrock and all these guys against The Undertaker's evil ministry of darkness, which is all of his cult-like figures. And you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, blazing a trail as the, the guy against the world. And the big boss man is brought back as being Vince McMahon's personal head of security. Wow. So Vince was in a wheelchair at the time because he'd been beaten up a lot and Bossa would would appear as this intimidating nightstick wielding and he did, and when he first appeared he wore a balaclava as well so you didn't know who it was. He was just this guy in the SWAT gear with a balaclava pushing Vince McMahon around who was very intimidating seeming. I bet. And then of course it's revealed that it was uh, the big boss man who said that he was back to bring Vince McMahon's law and order and justice against Stone Cold Steve Austin. So he's brought back as being like a spoiler type character. And he was a different boss man. He was purely evil bar one little tiny glimmerous moment. He was a bad guy the entire time unquestionably. And he was a much darker version of the big boss man. He was more sadistic. He was ruthless. He was dark-sided. He was weird. Was this around the time then that he started wearing the SWAT gear? Yes. I think that is possibly my favourite wrestling gear of all time. It's very cool. I mean, obviously, because of the shields, nicking it then. I mean, the boss man set that, like, when Vince or whoever came up with the idea for the shields... It's unquestionably they thought, oh, like the boss man, but yeah. you know, do it this way. But I love that they made it their own. Like I, like, I don't for a second think, like, oh, it's a ripoff oh, or no. anything. It's a loving homage. No, because the boss man's SWAT style is very particular. Mm. He's got the little creepy gloves. He's got yes. the nightstick. He's got the the particular top that he wears with like the the, the big zip, zip yeah, the zip yeah. and the vest. Yeah. Whereas obviously the shield, each member had their own kind of slant on the variation of the SWAT uniform. And then they would change it up all yeah. the time as well, whereas Boston usually, you know, he would be long sleeve sometimes, but other than that, it was always the same. Yeah. He always got the cleavage with the big boss man, which is the most important thing. Exactly. <laughs> I feel there's a lack of sexy cleavage from men in current day wrestling. Mm. We get a lot of shirtlessness, which is fine, but you don't get the unbuttoning. You think Brian Corbin should pop a few of them buttons open? Like, mm. see, the problem with him is that you just see the tattoo then, don't you? Yeah, you know, you hide can, that. You know, you... <laughs> Button it back up. Now, the boss man came back, he had a new look, he had a new kind of style. He was this slightly more dark-sided, more attitude-type character, fit in very, very well. And a very eye-catching wrestler, I always thought. The fact that he had you know, the nightstick, but he would always have these accessories. He'd open up a thing and he'd have pepper spray. Or he'd take out like an unfoldable riot baton and beat you over the head with it. Like He had loads of gimmicks. But when we were doing the artwork for this episode with Dan, our illustrator... Now, usually, Joe, the process involved with coming up with the artwork, it takes a few stages. I mean, how do you, you and Dan usually kind of develop the artwork together? So normally we have a bit of a chat about who the character is and what they represent. I will send Dan their entrance music, mm-hmm. which is a very important part of the process. Dan likes to listen to their entrance music while he illustrates the character to get an idea of, yeah. of their persona. And then he'll sort of fill it in from there. Yeah. And usually we'll send over things like, couple of clips yeah reference pictures some maybe some matches as well even yeah. things like that might tell them some stories that are relevant to their particular feud or anything like that important moments etc with the boss man i was like literally just show dan his entrance video 
and I'm pretty sure that's all he'll need to do to get the visuals yeah. for entrance it. video and like one picture of him and the entrance video which is just him in a jail cell closing the door twirling his nightstick putting on his sunglasses holding handcuffs and it's got that dread inducing do 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 oh my one of my favourite themes of all it's time it's a great theme it's just like like you couldn't hear that music and go yay <laughs> like that sound that the actual bass in it sounds like a crowd going yeah it's like <laughs> horrible it is something very nice about this whole run of the boss man where in the attitude era we've seen a lot with Vince Russo particularly you know the shades of grey like who's really a good guy and who's a bad guy like oh Vince is meant to be a bad guy but his daughter's kidnapped so feel sorry for him or you know Kane is a very complex character is he good or is he evil Austin's meant to be the good guy but he does loads of really evil shit all the time it was so refreshing to have a character like the boss man who there was no doubt he was pitch black heart of darkness bad guy and I think you needed that to ground that very weird show that you had in that time frame. Like, I think we still could do with a truly evil character in wrestling. Do you think we have any in 2019? No, I don't think we do. I think Baron Corbin, we've got someone who's really hated. He's hated, but he's not evil. No. He's not competent enough to be truly evil. And that was the thing about Bossman. They always put him over is that he was this, you know, he was a veteran now. So he'd been wrestling since you know the 80s. He was the wily veteran and he would always take shortcuts and he was very... Very calculated, not just to win his matches, but to be as mean as possible. He would do matches with smaller opponents where he would pin them with one finger. They'd, you know, <laughs> they'd, kick, they'd kick out and he'd slam back down and do it again. Wow. You know, or he'd do things like he would choke someone and then bring them right down to the ground, like with their like an inch off the ground and just like slam their head against the mat. Bloody hell. Just mean shit like that. And I, I, what, he'd rub his hands against people's faces. Ugh. You know, smother them with his fucking elbow and stuff. Cause he Real was, cop work. It was. He wrestled like a dirty fucking cop. Mm. And I thought that was really, really good. And... I think he's one of those characters where I don't think they were like, hey, you know what's a good idea? Maybe we could draw an analogy to the excessive brutality of the police force around America and the world. No, it's just like, here's a bad guy. You can put that on us. And if you want to put it on it, it's great because you get to see an evil cop get the shit beat out of him all the time. <laughs> That's great. Like, but it wasn't necessarily what it always was intended to be. And at the start, they, it was a bit weird with the Boston because he was Vince's kind of bodyguard. Well, they do a lot of heel versus heel stuff in the time. And like one of Bossman's first big feuds when he came back was him versus The Undertaker. And this is Undertaker who's like, I have just kidnapped Stephanie McMahon, Undertaker. Oh, Jesus. So can you imagine the setting, Joe? It's WrestleMania, Hell in a Cell against evil demonic Undertaker who's kidnapping children and you know kidnapping daughters. And the big boss man who is also pure evil. <laughs> He's listed cheerful. Well, I don't know who they thought. No, no one cheered for anyone. That's the answer. It's like a Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania. 15 minutes of silence. That's what you want is confused mumbling from the crowd. Like, who, who, who's the badder guy here? Let's have a quick debate, a philosophical debate on the morality of these wrestlers. Okay, well, I will make one point. The wrestler who crucifies the other wrestler in the build-up to it, in my mind, is the baddie. Yeah, that's the more evil one. Well, Undertaker crucified Bossman at the oh, time. You know, and this is the lead-up to it. And not this is the Russo triple threat right here. In the build-up to this match and the aftermath of it immediately, he was crucified. Of course. Then on the the right before the match, in an interview beforehand, 
vampires at the behest of the undertaker attacked the boss man and covered him in red viscous liquid right of course they did yeah <laughs> i swear i'm not making this oh no up. i believe you it's vince russo and then after the match the very boring match where the boss man wrestled a fucking 15 minute snooze fest inside hell in the cell the worst hell in the cell match of all time by a significant stretch. Better finish off with something really impressive then. Uh, yeah, the vampires came down in zip lines from up above the arena. Wow. Uh, attached a noose to the top of the hell in the cell. What? And uh, they wrapped it around the boss man's neck um... and then Undertaker went, and Paul Bear went, yes! And they raised up the hell in the cell uh... and they hung the big boss man. What? They hanged him. What the fuck? I mean to beat you in one minute or see you hanged at WrestleMania 15 at The Undertaker's Convenience. Which will it be? So yeah, they, they hung him. They He had a special harness in his in his SWAT gear. Allegedly, that's why the match was so bad is because Boston had this big kind of harness. Oh, what, the whole time? Yeah, the whole... Oh my God. And I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to say, hey, go watch it, because it's it's very upsetting. It's is, very, very upsetting it's to Vince watch. Vince Russo to a T. Yeah. To have something so complicated and unnecessary and showy-offy that it actually hinders the wrestling itself. That is, mm. that is encompasses Vince Russo's <laughs> entire career. You don't need to listen to that episode now. No, so you've it's done okay. it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to know. But, yeah, I mean... Not to put over the great performance of the boss man, but I mean, if you're going to sell being hung, he he did quite a, you know an alarmingly convincing job of us. Like know, the whole twitching, shaking, thrashing around, grabbing at his you oh. know at his throat, and then after the thrashing, he just kind of hung there, ah, and he swung back and forth with his mouth going, <clears throat> eyes closed. They hung him in the ring. That was in the middle of WrestleMania, and you thought, Baron, no. yeah, and you thought Baron Corbin beating Kurt Angle in a retirement match—that sucks the air out of a crowd. How about simulating a fucking hanging in the middle of the ring, in the middle of a WrestleMania? And, and this is 1999. This is the height of the Attitude Era. This is the biggest show of the biggest year of the biggest period in wrestling, and right smack bang in the middle of it. We're going public in two months, folks. Make sure you get in on that initial stock offering. Also, are hanging a guy in the ring. He came back the next week as well. <laughs> with, with a sore neck. With a sore, with a well, like a, a neck so- brace. A of, you know, no, no neck brace. He was just not back. even. Not even. Just said they said that he had a, suffered a injury to his uh, neck muscles. An and stuff owie. Like that. Fuck off, though, right? Jesus Christ! So there you go, Joe. That is your first hanging in uh, in wrestling, and it speaks a lot to the to the uh, quality of the heel work and the baddiness of the big boss man. This man who you've literally seen being hung, not drawn and quartered, just hung in the ring. That you're not still inclined to go to go. Hey, he came back from being hung. Like, nah, boo. <laughs> Oh. The ultimate comeuppance, like seriously. Maybe that's why he goes on, does all this evil dark side of stuff because like they hung no. me, man, and nothing can stop me. I'm back now, like worse than ever. Now, I mean, if anyone's gonna be hanged, boss man probably deserves it more than anyone. Kayfabe wise, but I mean, should we be doing no. hangings in kayfabe? No, no, Look, no. There's never a good time to bring it up in an episode, but the boss man did pass away in like 2004. He passed away from heart complications that he had, right? And, like, I was very sad when he, he died. He was only in his 40s. Oh, you know, that's a, so young. a really young. Yeah, you know, and he, was, he died while he was waiting to make a comeback. He didn't oh, think he was no. done, you know? And, like, that really, I mean, that really affected me. Like, because he was, he was like a proper fave, and, like, he was my brother's fave as well. So it was really upsetting. I remember going to WrestleMania, and they had 
the Undertaker's graveyard had access and it was like tombstones for all of the people he vanquished at WrestleMania on his undefeated streak. Oh no. And like I... seeing a big boss man tombstone there, you know, I'm, I've not checked. All I'll say is that when we did WrestleMania 15, like three or four years ago for the ITR podcast, it was on the network still unedited. It was also on the DVD collection I got of the WrestleMania anthology I don't know if it's still up there. I assume it still is up there. I've not heard that it's been taken down or anything. But when a wrestler has been sad enough to die before their time, and there is an epidemic, it still is, you know, mm. a tragedy of wrestlers dying young. Like, even if wrestlers aren't dying young as often as they were 10 years ago, guys, I think we could still agree it's a bad thing. Yeah. And I just think it's a bit tasteless to still have this very salacious... No one, no one thinks it's a good thing. Like, no one's like, oh, that was great. Remember when we did that? Undertaker thinks it's shit... You know, everyone thought it was shit. Yeah. I don't even think Vince Russo would defend it at this point. We don't need it. Get rid of it. Yeah. You know? I feel bad. Edge and Christian, that was their first WrestleMania moment, was hanging oh, with Big Boss Oh, no. How fucking shit is it's that? It's so like? tasteless and just unnecessary. It, like, adds nothing. It made no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. adds nothing. In fact, it's a hindrance more than anything because yeah. it's confusing and weird and massively inappropriate so fucking inappropriate but i mean like boss man in terms of big storylines he was used a lot as like a henchman against whoever the good guy was be it mankind or the rock or stone cold steve austin there was one brief moment where they made out that the boss man might turn good guy which is when you know vince mcmahon revealed that the higher power of the ministry of darkness it was me austin all along and vince was this evil uh, Daedric overlord, this magic Vince McMahon now, and he was a Sith Lord. They merged the corporation and the ministry together, and a lot of the corporation guys were like, oh no, come on now, we're not hanging out with a guy who kidnapped Stephanie McMahon. This is fucked up. This is evil. I don't want to drink the Undertaker's blood. And they made out, like, the boss man, well, he's, you know, law and order, and you had all the corporate ministry all having their evil celebration with, I kid you not, black balloons. What? Because they're goth, man, you know? <laughs> evil goth corporate ministry. And then the boss man comes out to the old boss man music. You know, if you ever take a trip down a cop county, Georgia. And it was like, wait a minute. And Jim Ross is like, by God, that's the, that's the old boss man, I think. Law and order and justice. And he walks into the ring, looks at Vince, looks at Shane, and then picks up a microphone and goes... I love you guys. What? And hugs them. What? <laughs> and then just joins up with them. <laughs> so they teased for a second that he was going to become a good guy. And then it's like, nah, he's just evil. He's, he's just wow. pure evil. <laughs> Not even a good, like, swerve there. I love you. <laughs> and just hugs Vincent Shane like. Barney the dinosaur. <laughs> so Bossman found a lot of his uh, time and a lot of his most evil work in the hardcore division, where he was the hardcore champion for a lot of his later tenure. Hardcore means that falls count anywhere in the building or outside the building, as it may be. No disqualifications. You can use weapons, whatever it is. And that, of course, suits the boss man. And he feuded with a lot of wrestlers in the hardcore division, chief among which was Al Snow. Now, we've talked a little bit about Al and the boss man before. Mm. Talked about the dog. That's all in the Vince Russo episode. So Al Snow was involved in a lengthy feud with the crown prince of hardcore, Al Snow. And Al Snow was often accompanied to the ring by his confidant, a mannequin called Head. But he then changed that to a new confidant after a railroad spike was driven through Head. And the voices stopped talking to him. He found a new friend in Pepper the Dog. Joe, who is Pepper the Dog? One of the all-time great characters in wrestling. 
Pepper is the most perfect little dog. He's got that little nervous chihuahua vibe, yeah, isn't he? vibrating all the time, <laughs> anxiously, which I can relate to. Aww. And a perfect, perfect little cute tiny dog with big eyes. Oh, so cute. And big eyes and a kind soul. <laughs> and of course, as a result of this, Boss Man, who can't abide to have anything pure and nice in this world opted to attempt to destroy Pepper and was trying to kidnap him at any turn. I think it's that Boss Man is a bit of an attention seeker. You reckon? And he doesn't like the fact that Pepper is now getting all this attention. <laughs> he doesn't like Al's new friend, Pepper. Like. It's like the jealous older brother and then the new brother is born. <laughs> Parents are paying more attention to him. So he yeah. has to lash out and beat the... He, he was okay with the mannequin head. Yeah. But Pepper's got a soul and he can't be having no. that. Like, no, 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 no. You will not have a friend that is alive. No, 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 no. <laughs> so there are many, many, many hardcore matches with the big boss man. Like I'd say the lion's share of his matches in his later career are these hardcore matches. Trying to find one that is the sweet spot between complete clusterfuck, but actually still entertaining. You know, it's a bit of a hard one. I mean, there's been times where the boss man has had these backstage brawls and it's like, wait a minute, the boss man, he's just gotten into that go-kart. What's going to happen here? He's in the go-kart. He's, t- he's turning the key. The go-kart's not moving, but oh. we're live. And obviously the second half of this match was going to be about this go-kart and... Let's just punch for five minutes instead. Oh, no. <laughs> so a lot of times they can be complete train wrecks. But we found a good one, folks. This is from SummerSlam 1999. As Al Snow and his best buddy, Pepper, safely backstage in a dog carrier, take on the hardcore champion, the big boss man. Jim Ross doesn't know what a pet carrier is. No, yeah, what does he call it? He calls it a little cage. <laughs> We have Bossman immediately attack Al Snow with Pepper, using the carrier as a weapon. And you've got Jim Ross saying, Pepper's in that little cage. Come on, Bossman. Which almost sounds like he's egging him on. Come on, Bossman. Hit him proper with this. (laughs) Use that little cage. Now, you may be scratching your noodle because in this match, you've got D-O-double-G, the poodle, the road dog, walking around. And obviously someone in the team meeting before this was like, Hey, it's SummerSlam. What's Road Dog gonna do? Oh, hey, well, Road Dog, he's so funny, isn't he? What if we had Road Dog on the microphone and he's been a bit wacky and he does some commentary on the match you know, as they go around? And that is, in essence, that's not a bad idea. Someone, you know, a funny guy. On, like, if someone said, "Hey, Kevin Owens is gonna grab a microphone and talk shit while these two wrestlers wrestle all over the building," I'd probably pay to see that. Only Kevin Owens. Very few wrestlers can pull it off. Yeah. Road Dog says like nothing. Yeah, he's just there, getting in the way. <laughs> getting in the way, saying very little. Jim Ross just has to try and talk around the occasional utterances that he makes. The most impressive thing about it is that they managed to have a direct link up on the headset between Road Dog, who yeah. is going outside, and King and Jr. That's impressive wireless technology for 1999. That, yeah, like. it didn't go wrong somehow. Yeah, that's really really good stuff. I'll tell you what went wrong though. Ooh, Glam Squad and the Road Dog's hair. <sighs> Bad look. They don't like him, huh? At least they didn't go for that terrible winged eyeliner again. I know, right? But Rhonda, God, I mean, they've been screwing these guys over for 20 years, it's been like. Let it go. It's a bad look. (laughs) Why do you make the wrestlers have it? Al Snow waits on a crane for Bossman to come out and just immediately dies on him at the start to start this match. None of it takes place in the ring. This is all in the wilderness of the backstage. 
Have you seen much of these kind of backstage wrestlings and whatnot? Not as many as I would like. I've really enjoyed the ones I've seen, though. Why do you enjoy it? What's what's the, the special sauce here? It's just, it's fun, isn't it? It's different. You get to see some unusual weapons. Mm. You get to see some unusual locations. Yes, definitely. I feel, as a world-building exercise alone, I enjoy it for that reason. Because you can see, hey, we're in an arena that has this area backstage, and here's the parking lot, and also here's... Across the road. Yeah. When we started the match, Joe was like, do they ever wrestle in like a restaurant or something? Just trying to pick up something wild yeah. and mad. And I'm like, does boss man fly? Like, I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> First of all, though, they start wrestling around with a fridge with real glass, it looks like. Yeah, it's a big Pepsi fridge. Big uh, Pepsi fridge. And I am very nervous about all this glass after the picture having gone underneath <sighs> boss man's eye previously when it was even Lord. fake glass. He throws like, I think it's like a... Like a gas cylinder or something yeah into it's it. a little gas tank thing he proper smashed and then he tries to tip it onto Al. oh god crush him with it they they're really like you know what seeing as they're all in concrete and you know when you're on concrete it means you can't do a lot of bumps and mm. stuff but they do a great job at having a variety of stuff it doesn't look phony at any point really it, it seems pretty vicious At one point they wrestle in the actual road yes which i've watched too many dramatic tv shows to not immediately be like no they're gonna get hit by a bus yeah right the way the camera was it was yeah. totally like end of mean girls boss man's gonna get run over or something <laughs> like that like he is one of the meanest though isn't he boss oh he's man? a total mean girl <laughs> so yeah they wrestle out in the roads bopping into uh roadwork signs and stuff then they brawl what appears to be outside the Rivoli Theatre. They, uh, yeah, smash into some patio furniture. <laughs> Just cannot withstand the weight of a big boss man. No, unsurprisingly. Then they end up in a bar. <laughs> this is great because you use the phrase trailer park boys to describe yeah. a lot of this action it's so trailer park boys because yeah it's like you know just a big crazy brawl stuff's been ripped apart a lot of personal property being damaged literally the words come out of her mouth that joe says that this is like trailer park boys and Bossman starts beating al snow with a phone book yeah like, some sort of crazy liquor cheeseburger party went out of control here al puts Bossman through an actual dining table that's very impressive <laughs> it is those things are sturdy and then, uh, yeah, Al Snow uh, converses with some fans at a bar. Like, starts flirting with a woman at the bar. Like, gives her a little gentle nudge. Hey, baby, I'm about to become a hardcore champion. Like, Call me. <laughs> Al Snow and Bossman brawl in a toilet. There's a urinal cake. Ah! There it is. I'm pretty sure you thought it was soap. Oh, I like, thought it was soap. Because no. Bossman was like, Damn, my eyes! I'm blind! They're like, oh, soap in the eyes. The urinal cake, yep. like... I'll tell you though, that's Duh. you don't want that, like you know. It makes me wretch to think it is the worst type of cake. Ah, like, you know. Don't talk about cakes. It's not a cake. Al does a moonsault off a bar, <laughs> then smashes a beer bottle into the boss man's face. Yeah, is that an actual beer bottle? I'm pretty sure it would be a a, a gimmicked beer bottle. I'm really confused about how many of the weapons they use in this is, are gimmicked because there's. But that's good. That's that's what they want. Though, oh yeah, right? no, no, yeah. no, for sure. But there's like fans handing them things. Like there's one guy who has like a big chain. <laughs> Oh yeah, those are all plants. They are all plants. All plants. Wow, that's incredible. But it, it you would think though, because it's they're all plants, but they've got loads of them. They've got loads of extras. Yeah. The bar is full. 
you know, it's not as if oh, we went into this special, like, you know, one of these days when they go into a backstage area, it's like, oh, where have you gone? No, not into the area with the one vehicle Braun Strowman yeah. will destroy. Not there, you know, that that's off limits. Carefully controlled environment. This feels wild because, yeah, you've got probably every fucking independent wrestler in Minnesota is there having a beer at the bar. Like. Yeah, it just looks like some people have come across some free entertainment and they're like, oh, this is good. It's this really well done. Bar has a show on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> guess my game of snooker is not going to be finished because two of the balls have been used to hit boss man's two balls <laughs> Al Snow wins but as distraught as Pepper has been kidnapped by the time he returns he's pinned on a pool table which I love alright on the felt like although one day I want to see a wrestler get put through a pool table you could in no mercy on the N64 really you could wrestle into a bar powerbomb someone through a, a dense pool table like you know <laughs> love it just stroll the felting this was a great stroll down memory lane. When I was a kid, even though I love you know Austin, Vince, Shane, and you know Mankind, those are all characters I loved. In terms of watching a wrestling show, my lifeblood was these matches. It was my absolute. That's what made me not just be someone who liked the talking and stuff. That's what got me into watching wrestlers actually fight each other because I thought it was so crazy and wild and silly probably inspired me to hit myself and others and be hit with too many things running around as a kid that being said though still wildly entertaining i fucking loved it i'm so happy we found one that wasn't cringe no you know this I mean. was really good i enjoyed this match so much yeah and it was like impressive genuinely impressive wrestling in it which i think is so it is really cool to see considering they seem like they're out in such a mad environment, such an uncontrolled, yeah. seemingly place that they're in. With Bossman's uncontrollable sweating as well. <laughs> I did like a point where he's sweating, he's grabbed a random beard, took a big swig out of it and kept wrestling like. Yeah, I love this match. I get four stars. Out yeah! Five. Easily my favourite. God, you know what? I feel a whole episode we could do on like the hard, wrestling's hardcore kind of division or whatever, mm. WWF's old hardcore stuff because there's some real fun bits and bobs along the way there. So, if you've listened to our Vince Russo episode, you know the fate of Pepper is not that necessarily a very happy one boss man did capture the dog and he what did he do again oh it's so sad a little perfect dog i know why would you cook him there's nothing on him like oh there's not like i know okay let me tell let me tell everyone how it happens so boss man kidnaps pepper and then he he goes and he takes pepper away and then he, he meets up with Al in a hotel room on a sexy date. Alarm bells immediately. Like, you know, meet me in my hotel room. I'll give you back your dog. Just give him the dog. Like, uh, this is the days before Uber Eats. You know, you uh, had to go right to the hotel room to get your Chinese food. You ought to go collect. <laughs> so, turns out the boss man has actually taken Pepper to a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Had an deep fried and turned into inverted commas food <laughs> to quote Adam Biblo it's not food <laughs> I mean once it's cooked it's it is edible it's food oh god I don't know why boss man opted to turn it into Chinese is it like I, I assume I, I know we discussed this on the Vince Russo episode I assume it's just rooted in racist yeah stereotypes. I'm pretty sure that's meant to be it like because yeah. if you were going to cook a tiny chihuahua you wouldn't want to deep fry it you would absolutely want to slow cook it like you've turn absolutely. it into a stew <laughs> you, 
dogs dogs can be quite stringy. You don't want the meat to be tough. You want it to fall off the bone. You can and get so, cheaper cuts of meat, but if you know how to cook them right, exactly. the results can be just as delicious. Exactly. And I just don't understand why he had to ruin a perfectly good dog by deep frying him. Well, there you go. You've heard it here first. And more frighteningly, as you point out, there is not a lot of meat to pepper. No, but a lot of food there. A lot of food. What else is in there? Whose <laughs> other dogs are in there? How many dogs? I like to think that Bossman went around, all the people he didn't like, collected their various pets <laughs> or children and just made a big batch. Apparently, I mean, this of course you led to hell. Oh, like, wait, oh. first, I, let me finish yeah, the story. Because yeah, yeah. he doesn't just turn him into Chinese food, does no. he? And then go, here you go, here's your dog. The end. No, he puts it in a doggy bag gives it to Al and just says, here you go, here's some delicious Chinese food, waits for him to start eating the dog, and then reveals that it's Pepper. Yep. And as he reveals it's Pepper, and Al starts retching and getting sick, Boss Man is like, literally twirling his nice sickle, Woo! I'm hardcore, man! Woo! There's something wrong with me, man! Yeah! Woo! Then he pushes Al's face into the food and, like, forces him to eat it. And I've said it before, but the idea of Chinese food spread over the outer blanket of a freshly made hotel oh. bed is so upsetting to me. It's like, it, it's literally almost more upsetting than the idea of a dog being killed. Like, it's like, oh no, the laundry, think of them. Poor staff who have to go in and clean that. Get rid of the grease stains. You'll never get rid of them. No, that that bed is gone, basically, Mm. is what's happened there. So, yeah, this whole angle came about. And, of course, it led to the hell in a kennel match that we talked about. And Mm. also to a pepper on a pole match as well, where the deep fried remains of the dog were also led to boss man force feeding Al Snow dog food. No, I don't know why they had to wrestle over the remains of the... because Al wanted to give him a Christian burial. No. It is. No. But Al won, though. You can't, Al, you can't bury deep-fried dog. Al won, though. He did. He won that match, and he got the... He got the... So sad. He got the corpse, the remains of, of Pepper, and he did bury him. And then they had a segment where like, he had this little shrine to Pepper made up in a little grave. And he's like, you were my best friend, and... You helped me when, you know, I thought there was no one else who I could ever talk to. And, and then s- Bossman crashes the funeral. He, he digs up the remains. <laughs> drives and away. Eats like. them. <laughs> and not as bad as that, but he does show up later and he pissed on the grave. Oh my God! <laughs> he will have no peace, like. It is so fucking sad. The most maligned fucking individual in the history of wrestling is Pepper the dog. Never has anyone been through as much as Pepper has been through. That poor, poor dog. The reason this all came about was apparently some writer randomly suggested, hey, I don't know, like, you know, what if we had Bossman cook the dog type of thing? And Vince was like, yes, do it. Do it, do it, do it. And it's just basically like, Vince will clutch his, get his claws into an idea sometime and think it's funny and that's it. It is allegedly based off of a real life rib that a wrestler did to another wrestler what um do you know mr fuji no you might recognize him if you saw him uh mr fuji was uh a japanese wrestler who then became a oh yeah manager. I him. yeah he, he passed away recently mr fuji he was uh, a manager for many years he was the manager of yokozuna uh, amongst others but uh mr fuji was known for being a, a bit of a trickster back in the 70s which basically meant that he did ribs which were so fucking mean and cruel and horrible the way that wrestlers used to prank each other fucking hell it would make some of those aegis living in the vine houses blush like you know mm-hmm. he essentially 
cooked Jimmy Snooker's dog as well and tried to feed it to him. That, wow. that happened. But I mean, in fairness, though, to a nicer guy, it couldn't have happened. That poor dog, But though. the dog, though, I mean, yeah. What the fuck? Crossfire between horrible men, like. You have to be fucking so evil. Well, that, you know, the wrestling, I mean, that's, you know, you're one generation removed. When you're in the 90s, you're one generation away from wrestlers cooking each other's dogs for real, you know. So, mm. as crazy and as wild as wrestling gets, sometimes it can only pale in comparison to the real life. And that extends to simulated murder and other things as well, as we'll find out as the uh, the episodes roll on of How to Wrestling. Of course, Bossman, also famously, didn't just have issue with small, tiny dogs. He had issue with very large men's fathers as well. <laughs> the Big Show's dad, in kayfabe, now Big Show's actual father passed away when he was much, much younger. But they thought, hey, it'd be a good idea to... I wanted to make the people relate to the Big Show a little bit more because he just come in as this big, tall giant, no real personality, and he just could have won all the time. And they wanted him to be personable, the way that Andre the Giant had a kind of a soft spot and had a bit of a human side to him. They wanted that with Big Show, and they thought the way to do that was to have him grieve over his father dying of cancer. And they were like, would do things say, "Yo, Big Show's dad's in chemotherapy, or he's took a bad turn this week," and. Bossman took great umbrage with this. Uh, Again, he's an attention seeker. Well, no one's dad's going to die around here, like, and me not say something about it. And yeah, he started a feud with the Big Show. And I think the idea was, and this is me adding lots of layers of fan fiction and uh, assisted writing to it, but I believe what it was is that the Big Show was a superstar on the way up. And you can make a big name for yourself by beating The Big Show. Because no one had really managed to really take out The Big Show yet. And humiliate him or anything. So I thought that maybe in kayfabe, the boss man was like, The Big Show's weak now. Because his dad is dying. Which means I can wage a mental war on him. Which means I will be able to defeat him with great ease by simply playing mind games. Where I would normally never have a chance against The Big Show. The Big Show wins the championship around this point. And this is the boss man's like... Since the 80s with Hogan, this was his first chance at the championship where he's like, I'm going to get the big show. I'm going to do it through his dad dying of cancer. What are some of the things that uh, you saw when the boss man was waging his war against the big show and his daddy dying of uh, shame, I believe it was, he said. So first off, he pays a corrupt security guard or someone like that to tell big show before his big championship match that his dad has passed. So he pays him all this money to, to go and, and to go up to Big Show and go, I'm really sorry. You know, takes his hat off oh, even. For fuck's sake. Uh, with my deepest condolences that I let you know that your dad has finally passed away. And Big Show's crying, you know, as well as only Big Show can. Well, this is where we first found out, if anything, this feud gave us the birth of the big tears of the Big Show. Yeah. Like, you know, we found out he had it in him. <laughs> and then the security guard goes off and we see him backstage on a little security camera with the boss man. And the boss man is giggling like a schoolgirl. Whoa, man, glee. tell me what it was like. What was it like when he said found out that his daddy oh, was dead? He cried. <laughs> Way, my daddy, my daddy. Whoa, that's funny, man. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so horrible. It's so horrible. <laughs> uh, then he destroys a precious family heirloom yeah so he goes to all the effort this is the thing like, i don't this is more evidence that boss man isn't driven by money because he, he goes he actually spends quite a lot of his own money yeah. on the elaborate pranks that he 
pulls on people like Big Show and I'd, Al. So. I call them capers, but they're too mean spirited to be classified as a caper <laughs> yeah. or a jape. They're neither <laughs> of those. I don't want anyone using those words to describe these actions. So yeah, he goes to the effort of getting this anvil. So he must have found like a functioning blacksmith somehow. <laughs> still in America. <laughs> Borrowed that anvil. Somehow carried it all the way to the stadium wherein they're performing. Only to reveal that he has Big Show's precious family heirloom. How he got it. Like, how did he get it? He like, never reveals. They always say, like, like, oh, I've got contacts from my time in corrections. Like, yeah. You know, right. So he has his father's watch and he lays it on the anvil and smashes it with a hammer while giggling. And he hits Big Show with a hammer as well. Oh, yeah, then he hits Big Show with a hammer, which is horribly violent. Yeah, I know, a headshot with a hammer in wrestling. Oh, like. Disgusting. Yeah, he's got a nightstick, but he opted for the ball-peen hammer instead. Of like, course. Of course. Then after that, Big Show's father actually passes away. Yes. So he's he is dead now. And we have a Lillian Garcia who's like, hey, everyone, inexplicably, I'm going to announce the Big Show's dad has died and here's a 10-bell salute. And in the middle of the 10-bell salute, out comes Boss Man to read a poem <laughs> about his feelings towards Big Show's dad's death. Joe, you've got the poem there. In your greatest reading, please, I would love to know your thoughts on the piece. A lot of poetry in this house at the moment. You yeah. know, uh, Me and Adam are recording a lot of uh, poetry-based stuff for AE Podcast and... God, the poetry has made its way here to how to as well. <laughs> With the deepest regrets and tears that are soaked, I'm sorry to hear that your dad finally croaked. He lived a full life on his own terms. Soon he'll be buried and eaten by worms. But if I could have a son as stupid as you, I'd have wished for cancer, so I would die too. <laughs> so be brave and be strong. Get your life on track. Because the old bastard's dead and he ain't never coming back. And that's exactly how I feel about the Big Show's daddy being dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's so horrible. It upsets me that we're at a point in wrestling where like, you'll never be able to get a villain to that level of just sheer evil. Well, you couldn't do a cancer angle now. No. No way. But like, you could say like, father's unwell or yeah. father has died or just you, you wouldn't you wouldn't go with cancer because they wouldn't go for like mocking like someone who's having a battle with cancer no. or anything like that but just to have someone who just like like when the big show ha finally gets his hands on the boss man they have a match at survivor series and it's great because like it's f it's meant to be four on four big show beats up all of his partners and then he beats up all of the boss man's team including the boss man in like less than 30 seconds wow and like boss man and all of them they wear like black armbands and stuff like that <laughs> but i like, talk about like a character just wearing his heart on his sleeve and his dark black heart Tommaso champa in nxt is the closest i can think to someone who is just like unequivocally a scourge and a terror in wrestling mm. I, I i don't know I'm someone who's often faced with tasteless angles and stuff like that, but I always feel like WWE will do a tasteless angle or whatever, but then try and make it that it's kind of cool or it's all right. Yeah, I think that's what makes it tasteless more than anything. Or there's no comeuppance. Yes. You know, where a bad guy just does something and kind of gets away with it and it feels kind of shitty. But I kind of feel this is all right. Well, even though it's very tasteless, and I certainly wouldn't go with a cancer thing or mm. even interrupting a 10-bell salute in yeah. this day and age is probably a bad taste. But I think you can go hard with a villain. And I think they're afraid to because of their sponsors and being PG. You can go hard with a villain and just have him resolutely be categorized. Like, 
even Jerry Lawler, this is it. Mm. Jerry Lawler's always going how disgusted he is by the big boss man. This is in between him shouting about puppies and, yeah. you know, all that shit. So if evil Jerry Lawler says you're bad, you know unequivocally he is the bad guy. I think because today in wrestling, they're so hesitant to have anyone that is resolutely 100% good or 100% yeah. bad. And you'll notice even on commentary, there is no one who everyone on commentary refers to as a bad guy. Yeah, that's true. There's always going to be someone, you know, Corey Graves or whoever, trolling you, being like, ah, but I like them because of this other reason or whatever. Because, you know, being a good guy or a bad guy is apparently passe. Yeah. I don't know. I think you can have good guys and bad guys and your shades of grey. I just think it's funny that during the Attitude Era, when everyone's like, oh, this was an era heralded in by Vince McMahon saying that good guys and bad guys were passe. Well, that's a fucking bad guy, yeah. right? You know, it's called Arnie in fucking Last Action for Hero. The bad guys are in there! Pointing <laughs> at the boss man's house, like. So, yeah, I mean, after this, of course, we then have a funeral, which uh, is interrupted. We have poor Big Show at the funeral <laughs> with his family, I presume, mourning the death of his father. His coffin's being lowered into the grave. And along comes Boss Man in... Now, you said it was the Blues Brothers mobile? It is. It is. It's got the big megaphone on the, on the top. Okay. And it's got the star on the side. The, Why? You know, I, I don't Because he's a cop. Former cop. Blues Brothers aren't cops. Yeah, but they have an old cop car. That's their car. That's why they've got the, the old so cop car. So why'd you the big thing on top? Um, to shout obscenities about, Everybody, I'm the big boss man, and your old man here's dead, stupid old. And, hey, Mrs. White, now that your husband's dead, would you like to go on a date with me? Oh. <laughs> Mate, all right. You want, to be, you want to be able to play it cool, right? You know, and you want to get some tail, as it were. You want to pick mm. up some skirt at a funeral. After the body's been buried, that's when you can make your move. Yeah, don't interrupt the funeral, steal the body and the coffin and drive off with it while saying, yeah. hey, call me baby. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have a proposition for you. You think about that while your husband's buried, all right? And then come back to me. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, like, no. you know? <laughs> so yeah, he ties up the coffin, drives off with it. Big Show jumps on the coffin to try and stop him from nicking his dad. Yeah. Uh, the little flourish the Big Show does at the end when he gets knocked off. Oh, God, yeah, he gets pushed off and then he kind of does a backwards roll and lands on his shoulders and stays there. You said to me that was the point it got silly. Yeah. <laughs> when he did the little flourish. Yeah, because this whole thing, <laughs> I think, could be done in a way that's like much scarier and much like almost more tasteless, I yeah. think, with the, any other opponent than Big Show. Do you think the fact that it is a bit silly is tasteless no i think the fact that it's silly makes it better right okay because i mean this is just one of these things where like one of the few moments where wrestling is kind of like we get it we we understand that wrestling is over the top and silly yeah i don't think anyone is pretending that this is like anything other than a very silly dark yes yeah but a very silly thing like they cut back and jay lawler's just like with a big look on his face (laughs) it's so fucking weird but it doesn't even end here no it doesn't because then after the funeral boss man goes to the effort of tracking down Big Show's mum I've been on genealogy.com making up the family tree of the wet and he's worked out that Big Show was an illegitimate child he was born out of out of wedlock 
which makes him a bastard, technically. Yeah. You know nothing, big show. Yeah. You know nothing, big show. Big Snow Paul White would have been a great gimmick, I'm just saying. The bastard, yeah. big show. I mean, he was known as a big, nasty bastard when he first came in, uh, which is, I guess, why that... Paul, the, the boss man thought it was uh, yeah. apt to say you're a big nasty bastard and your mama said so like but it's so sad because meanwhile he's sitting there in the kitchen and they're filming from like outside the window it's so creepy without like. her consent <laughs> and he's in there and he's like if you don't tell Big Show what is in this packet that I've got here which is the obviously the fact that he's illegitimate I'm gonna tell him and she's like no 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 don't tell him I'll tell him I'll tell him I'll tell him and he's like okay and what is it that you need to tell him she's like he's He's illegitimate. And he's like, ha ha You just told him on national television along with 80,000 people. Hey, Mrs. White, you've been framed. He's like, candid camera got very dark there. Yeah. Always check if you're going to reveal the secret nature of your child. Always check for a red light. You know? Oh, it's so sad. And she is just... It's crying hysterically. The actor they've got to play Big Show's mom, kudos to her. Yeah, she's, she's a good great. job. Great. Yeah. Performance of a lifetime. And I mean, yeah, Big Show defends his belt against Bossman, and all of this feud all builds up, and Bossman gets killed in like you know twenty seconds again. Like he just gets he gets choke slammed through a table, and then choke slammed again, and that's it. Like Big Show thoroughly gets his revenge on him, and that was the kind of the biggest point of his career at that point. I think he had done his main storylines they tagged him with a few other people like he was with prince albert for a while they had him with a, a guy called bull buchanan a longtime friend of the big boss man who also dressed in swat gear but he was using kind of a smaller and smaller role uh usually just to kind of get guys over because he was a uh, a veteran at that point he had started to get injuries as 2001 came around he was injured for most of that year when he came back in 2002 he was very much coming into a, a much different locker room obviously you know, a lot of young guys have been signed in that time. And he was credited as being, along with Mr. Perfect, one of the people who helped Brock Lesnar kind of get his head straight about wrestling and whatnot. Wow. You know, Brock was like fucking 19 or 20. And it's like, hey, let's make you world champion. And they were, they kind of explained to him that even though you're a big star, that you need to look out for yourself. Uh, some could say he, maybe they set him on the wrong path, <laughs> you know? I mean, because, you know, Mr. Perfect and Bossman, they very much were like, were like, you know, put yourself first, make your money, mm. and, you know, make sure that you and your family are provided for. Don't end up being beholden to them for everything. And, you know, within two years, Brock was gone. And when he came back, he had a much different approach to, to doing business. Yes, yeah, seriously. Uh, he certainly adhered to that advice to the nth degree. And does to this day. But, yeah, I mean... All I'll say about the boss man, particularly the later career, if you type in, you know, boss man, hardcore, 1999 or 2000, you're almost guaranteed to be treated to a five to ten minute wacky backstage segment where he is beating people up or being beaten up more often than not with various silly objects and whatnot. But I think he's one of the most unique characters that we've come across. I mean, it's weird to think the man we're talking about there who's doing all that crazy shit was the guy who was meant to be an analogy for police brutality to help Hulk Hogan get over in the 80s. What I'm so surprised about is the fact that Bossman is by far and away the only truly evil character I can think of Mm. in wrestling. Even though you have The Undertaker who has done actual crucifixions (laughs) and hangings. Yeah. And he is considered like a hero still. I know, right? Wrestling is fucked up, man. But I just, I think it's really cool. We've 
we've put the pieces together. Bossman is a career you can look at. You can bookend it even and be like, well, it does make sense all of yeah, it. Yeah, you know? totally makes sense. Even when he was a good guy. Good he guy. Was he really a good guy? No. And, you know, this often, when it happens in wrestling, it happens kind of not intentionally. No and I'm one... so surprised it happened with like a cop type character. Yeah. That is so surprising to me. I think a lot of people may watch the boss man character and, you know, rightly so, maybe get a bit uneasy about its portrayal at times. Do you know if cops in general are unhappy with the portrayal of the boss man i don't i don't know any cops i, I don't i <laughs> honestly i don't i don't know and i mean it was they kind of skirted around it because like anytime he was a real proper heel it was like corrections officer you know that's what they said he was yeah. a law enforcement they never said he was a cop that was it you know Probably that's i protests. think well that's how they managed to skirt it the whole time is that they said he wasn't actually a cop and when he was a good guy he would talk about law order and justice very broad things he would never be like i'm here for all the police officers you know he would never they were i don't think they ever went full kilt with it and i think it's for the best you know if you're gonna have someone who is embodying a lot of those things keep it vague because i think they've managed to you know skirt a lot of the most controversial bits but hey i can understand why a law enforcement character who wore a fucking confederate flag on his outfit for most of his career and was a good old southern boy if you don't want to watch that i totally understand you know but as a character who actually makes sense from start to finish of his career very few wrestling is so oftentimes i'm just left disappointed going well that doesn't make any sense Mm. you know and often this point the episode we're like well it didn't make sense it is very sad that he he passed away when he did because since his passing it's been nothing but nice things that people have said about him Mm. um you know he got inducted into the hall of fame a few years ago and his family spoke uh very lovingly about him and he was a family man first and foremost any wrestler who's spoken about him said that he was you know, light-hearted, jovial, uh, a, a nice guy, you know, was always up for helping other people and helping people get over. Very oddly, um, Terry Runnels, she was the kind of the lady who was paired with Goldust for a lot of his career, blonde lady from the Attitude Era. She came out with all these blogs after his passing saying like, yeah, he like when I was on the road because... I was kind of, I didn't feel safe traveling with a lot of the, the wrestlers. I bet. And he was older. And she said she never, her, her dad ran away when she was young. And so she never had a father. He never had a, a daughter. And they actually bonded. And she said he, he, they traveled together on the roads. And she said he was like my dad on the road. Aww. He was always looking out for me. And I felt safe traveling on the road with Ray because he was always looking out for me. And, you know. He was a, you know, a big, strong, nice guy who, who could protect me or whatever. And what's really sweet is that she carries around with her every time she travels still. A little boss man action figure just to oh. kind of remind her of that. And when they were at the Hall of Fame, when he was being inducted, they were panning through the crowd. And she was there just holding up this little boss man figure. And I remember at the time thinking how fucking weird it was. And then just reading the story. And I'd recommend people check it out. She had a lot of very nice things to say about him. And it's just, you know, stories of people looking out for each other and being kind to each other and being decent human beings. We often don't get a lot of those on no. this podcast. So I think it's worth mentioning at that point in time. So Joe, we're finishing up here on the boss man about to get into some uh, social media. We've seen a lot. I know a lot of the matches maybe weren't your taste, but we have watched a lot around the matches. What were your thoughts on the boss man? And what were your favorite iterations of the boss man i think i can safely say i love the boss man yeah and he's probably one of my favorites now wow how come is it because of the character work yeah, or I, just, I think it's really 
brave to have a character like that who is a bad guy. Yeah. It's so refreshing to me as a modern viewer. Like, I just know we couldn't we couldn't ever get that now. Mm. It's just the political climate we are in means that would be considered too edgy. I just, I don't trust WWE oh, to no, do that. Oh, no, I agree. Know? I yeah. also don't trust WWE. But that's really sad that, mm. like, that they could, at one point, at least to a point, be trusted to do it well. And but during now, its... <laughs> now not. But again, 1999, Russo is the writer. That's hardly like, I would say, oh, well, we can trust no. them to... Ha- it's a miracle that yeah. they managed to handle it with any fucking grace at all. And yet they did for pretty much his whole career, mm. which is like, that is so strange. I can't think of any other wrestler where that has happened, where they yeah. just had like pretty much smooth sailing, consistent... You know, even though he's changed from being a good guy to a bad guy, it's still consistent character work yeah. the whole time. And I love it. Yeah. I also know he has grandkids. Yes. His grandson actually has a little boss man figurine. Oh, and man. And he didn't even know that it was his grandpa. Which That's is like, so fucking so wild. Weird. But oh. I would love, this is my dreaming big, I would love to have a like a boss man grandson wrestler type thing. It's like, I'm coming for my revenge. And he's a bad guy. <laughs> I love the idea of... I mean, I don't know if I'm alone in this. It's because we're watching JoJo and you're obsessed with bloodlines at the moment. Is that (laughs) like my ultimate nightstick technique? (laughs) I would love to see someone be able to work a nightstick again. Yeah. We'll ever get that though. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe the 10-year-old children of the world might rejoice that nightsticks are no longer in the public consciousness of teenagers. I know I am. (laughs) But hey, we've had a lot of chat about the life the times and the career of ray trailer aka the big boss man let's have a look at some of your tweets bobby heenan by your own admission by the words that passed through your lips you started this thing you started it by making fun of my mama but there's one thing i'm proud as hell of that in the nassau coliseum that every man woman and child that is sitting in that arena is going to get to witness Witness the justice that the big boss man is gonna put on you, fuck! This one first up from Aiden Ritchie 27 One of the most iconic gimmicks in wrestling history. Doesn't matter how long you watch for, if you've seen this man in the Hogan or Astrid era, you remember him. Also the owner of two of the best wrestling themes in history. Well, at least one of us agree with you on that one. <laughs> what do you think of his music then? I adore them. They're two of my favourite themes of all time. Really? Like, yeah. Even um, the good guy theme. Even the good guy theme. And I'll tell you why, Joe, because when I got my WrestleMania anthology, they didn't have... they. They lost the rights to a lot of their old music from uh, Jimmy Hart and whatnot. So they didn't have that theme on it. They dubbed over his old theme. And I'd always heard, oh, he's got a banger of a theme. So I, I was left waiting for many years to finally hear it. So then when I finally heard it, I was like really excited. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It's lyrics about who he is. And the fucking chorus, the refrain is his catchphrase. Because you're going to be doing hard times. And you know I love as well about hard times as a, as a catchphrase? Hard Times works as a good guy and as a bad guy. Oh, yeah. You it know? does. It's and clever. I love that. It can be empathetic as a good guy. We all know about Hard Times. But you're going to be doing Hard Times or I'll show you what Hard Times are all about. Ooh, yes. <laughs> this is from the Activate Podcast. He says, I still play his music in my head every time I put on a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> the problem is, though, every time you put on a pair, you don't want to pick up a pair of handcuffs as well, then take them off and then on and then turn and close the cell door. You know, you're Quizzle caught, a nightstick. caught in a loop, you know? <laughs> Next up from Loki-fied. I'm very excited for how to do Boss Man. When I was a kid, I loved him as a baby face in blue because he was a big man, but incredibly fast and quick with his hands and his feet. When he came out in the SWAT gear, I was devastated. He's also a real-life sweetheart and lovely man. 
This is from Phil Gerard at More Films. I legit can't wait for this episode because I never saw the boss man as anything special and just a body to feed to Austin. Interesting. I mean, I think if you're looking at it solely, like, he was very much a utility player. I mean, yeah, that was his role, but he did it very, very, very well for the most part. And I think... There are so many people whose lot in life is like, hey, yeah, you're going to be fed to Hogan, fed to Austin, fed to John Cena, fed to Roman Reigns. That can be your lot in life, but you can make something out of that, like, you know? And oftentimes the people who have the longest tenured careers, I mean, how many people have we talked about who've managed to be in Hogan times and Mm. Austin times and still be relevant? Yeah. You know? Uh, You know, that's all about, like, picking your spots and, and earning your spot and keeping your spot and keeping yourself fresh so i think that alone makes him special absolutely because so many wrestlers from the hogan era came off as cartoonish when they changed the attitude era yeah. and instead boss man just it was a natural just slight shift in his character and it fits perfectly i mean yeah if you compare i don't know i mean like how hollywood hogan changed from hulk hogan i feel that was kind of a bit cringy and just yeah. didn't really work compared to the boss man's pivot it's just like yeah we've just updated it to make it edgy in 90s without the use of an x or a z yeah you know which is very rare indeed impressive (laughs) a poem now from i like james t with deepest regrets and tears that are wet the boss man is someone we should never forget he did crazy shit in his own crazy way he was actually pretty good back in his day (laughs) a -a one-of-a-kind guy we'll never see again an attitude era 10 out of 10. And that's exactly how I like James T. feels about the big boss man's career. I'm a classless tweet there. <laughs> uh, un- uh, a disgusting human being. Uh, this is from the Richard Sauce. Was lucky enough to be at the Survivor Series with his nightstick match. I was nine. Nails was scary. And boss man was a hero. I prefer to keep that image in my head instead of corrupt prison guard abuses inmate. Inmate seeks vengeance. Prison guard triumphs over evil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, there's another really great one that they did with the boss man. Just another kind of law enforcement gimmick. There was a heel wrestler called the Mountie. Oh, right. The Mountie, as you may have uh, guessed, was a, a, a shot at Canadian Mounted Police Force. And he thought he was about law and order. And he would shock people with his taser all the time. And him and Bossman had a jailhouse match. <gasps> Amazing. The loser of which had to spend the night in the other person's jail. <laughs> and Bossman won. And he was like, you know, do, doing the fingerprints on the Mountie and all that. It's absolutely classic material right there. Really great. That guy weighed too says, I only knew a boss man from WWE 13 and I loved his look as it was so different from everyone else's in a game filled with cool looking wrestlers. Four years after that game came out, the Attitude Era podcast ruined him for me and now I love him even more. Hey, I'm happy to do that. Uh, you think, may think we've ruined the boss man. What we definitely have ruined is the Men Behaving Badly theme music. Because oh yeah. if you go onto YouTube, pretty much all the comments there now are just like talking about the big boss man. <laughs> and I always wondered like if Martin Clunes or, you know, or old Morrissey was having a bad day you know martin clunes was not having a good time thought you know what i'll just pop on youtube you know and you know remind myself of the good old days <laughs> pop on a few episodes of doc you know then pops on let's behave badly thing one more time what's all this who's the big boss man? <laughs> why are you talking about dogs being murdered now i'm having a rubbish time Aww. you did that to martin clunes at a chair podcast you did that <laughs> tom g wolf the lupine book club here 
Big Boss Man is lodged in my memory largely because my old high school vice principal had a striking resemblance to him. Yikes. Even more than 15 years after my graduation, my friends and I refer to him as Boss Man rather than his real name when reminiscing. That's terrifying. That would be an effective vice principal if he looked like Boss Man. Yeah, God. <laughs> I, I feel bad for you for having someone who's so high up the pecking order. I had a maths teacher who was kind of low tier who looked exactly like Bubba Ray Dudley. We should testify going past his classroom. I think he just thought we were very enthusiastic Catholics. <laughs> one here from J.R. Sinison. Bossman is one of the best character guides of his era. Even when saddled with the worst wrestling outfits in history during his WCW run, he lo- still looked like a threat to both Sting and Vader because he put everything he had into whatever gimmick he was given. Yeah, I, I must point out that The Guardian, while the commitment to the gimmick was fabulous, the actual uh, reality of wearing that... Uh, white tank top and red bandana it looked a little bit hokey like but hey if anyone can make red trousers work it's the big boss man lastly here from Amir Tagan boss man was a wrestler my brother watched when he was the Cobb County boss man and then he was in it when I watched the Attitude Era he was a wrestler I immediately felt a big fan of just because he was so cool I remember swinging sticks around trying to recreate him Good is Lord. he cool? yeah yeah he, he was cool to children yes yeah to children he was definitely cool especially like slightly prepubescent teenage boys yeah yeah absolutely i think ages 10 to 14 <laughs> was the absolute zenith and i remember because i used to play you know wrestling in primary school all the time me and my friends would play wrestling and there's one of our friends who used to play as the boss man but mm. he's the kind of kid who get you know very upset and kind of run off and stuff like you know, he was he was quite volatile let's just say yeah and there was one time where you know he wasn't speaking to anyone in the gang for a couple of days and then, you know, Bossman had done something cool on, on SmackDown. We were going to recreate, you know, the, the fun thing we were doing in, in the backyard. And we said, hey, do you, want to, do you want to come over and play play wrestling with us? You know, I'm going to be mankind. And he turned, he looked at us and he put on a pair of sunglasses and said, the boss man works alone and walked away. <laughs> uh, which was the coolest thing. We were like, oh, he's not going to play with us. Oh, great character work, though. <laughs> man, he's orping the shit out of the big boss man. Like, goddamn, like, you know. Impressive. I thought I was cool because I drew on one of my socks. Like, no, that kid had it down to a T, like, you know. So that is going to do it for our episode on the big boss man, Ray Trailer. Uh, a-, a joyful episode. I'm really glad we've got to chat in such depth about... You know, I was worried we'd focus too much on one side of his career. I'm glad we got a nice spread across the ages, the many guises, shapes and forms of Ray Trailer. I'm uh, very happy that you've got to see all of him. You've had a good time here? Oh, I had such a fun time. This is a great episode to record. So we have been in the past and we have been looking at one of a, a classic character in wrestling. It's time now to delve into modern times and look at the backstory and the current story of one of the most must-see superstars in WWE history. You may recognize him from several high-ranking DVDs on Amazon's bestseller list. We will be talking about the reality star himself, Mr. Goddamn Entertainment. We are going to be talking all about The Miz. Our next episode will be about the must-see superstar himself, the Hollywood A-lister, Joe, this is someone who you've been a big fan of since we've started. I love The Miz. He has really been on his A-game for the last couple of years. Yeah, huh? I feel that like since I've been watching, The Miz is just, I don't know, he's just 
soared to superstardom. Like yeah, constant cycle of glowing yeah. up. It feels like I, I just feel like it's all thanks to me. <laughs> I I started this trend, and the Miz has me to thank. Yeah, so Miz, you thank. You got the Hot Wife reality yeah. show, all the stuff down to to Joe me. Graham here. Me, I'm very very thankful. I'm You're sure welcome. the Miz is as well. But it didn't <laughs> always go this way. For those of us who've been watching wrestling for a long time, the Miz was many times a butt of a joke, a name muttered under the breath. And a name screamed at the heavens in consternation. He is not someone who had a typical nor an easy ride into WWE superstardom. And he's someone who's definitely had a long journey and a path that I don't believe has been traveled before or potentially since. It's going to be an interesting one. There's a lot of people out there still clinging to that old Miz hate. Really? Absolutely. What the hell? And I'll tell you what, I enjoy every single time as a subscriber of Figure Four Weekly of listening to Brian Alvarez still cling to his mind that the Miz is a terrible performer. Oh my God, grow up. So I'm really happy and really excited to hear from folks who love the Miz and maybe think the Miz is doing great stuff. Maybe you're like me and thought the Miz is doing good now but maybe has struggled in the past. Or maybe you're someone, like there's many people out there who think that The Miz still sucks and will never be good for anything. I mean, you're wrong. <laughs> Come with opinions, match recommendations, segments, interviews, and maybe a few episodes of Miz and Misses along the way as well. Are we going to get to watch The Marine? I think we'll have to watch at least one Marine. I think Yay. there's around nine of them now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, tell you what, recommendation for the best Marine movie for us oh, to yeah. watch. Yeah? Important, yeah, we're going to have to check that out. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a Hollywood-sized episode befitting of the red carpet magistrate himself, and I cannot wait to talk about Mike the Miz Mizanin. Hoorah indeed! Use the hashtag HowToTheMiz. Nice and short so you can get a few extra characters of opinion in there this time round. <laughs> I'm very excited and again thank you everyone for all of your thoughts and your match recommendations for the big boss man. He's certainly a character I think if we popped on a match of in this house again or a segment of it would not be unwelcome. Yeah. Until next time it's going to be a, a goodbye from me Kevin. And a goodbye from me Joe. And we'll see you next time for some Miz action on How To Wrestling. See ya. So, um, I'm going to talk about him heading back to WWE then, his evil boss man. Then we'll uh, talk about him being crucified. Yeah. And then a little bit about him and Al Snow, their war. You're going to talk about him being hung? Yes, that comes after him being crucified. Oh. <laughs> it sounds so funny. Like, are you going to talk about him? Yeah, yeah. No, after the crucifixion. After, all right, cool. I'll, nice. anyway, sure, I'll catch you later. All right, yeah. And is the... that before the dog eating? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's before that. And you... also before the coffin stealing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, sure, I'll catch you later. All right, all right. yeah, all right. Yeah. See ya. See ya. <laughs>